Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. To the press is something you're going to be offering to the, to the clients as well. Recorded? Yeah. I mean, a, well, she uh, has. Uh, the first time I took the sulfur down there, I had a patient that that came back a week later and said, Oh, my God. Everybody should take this. I can't believe how much better I feel. And then she went and bought, you know, four more pounds yeah. over the next month and a half. And um, and what I've found from the people that I've recommended to is that not everybody senses a benefit. Probably 50% or more, 60% get some kind of benefit and and some of that some of those people don't notice it you know it's it's evident to other people but not to them oh jack and uh, uh you know but, I, I don't know do you, do you do a lot of acupuncture for vanity for what vanity for pa- vanity oh no i <laughs> no i don't okay well we we do I, I don't know i just have sort of a yeah. you know like I, don't know, I, know. I must I, give off this vibe that says I don't care about that, and let's go I on know. to the next patient. Okay, Wasn't that Prince, Prince's ex-girlfriend, Vanity? Got a package. Okay, well we'll talk, we'll talk about that next week. Thank you everyone for coming, <laughs> and and we'll and uh, and enjoy uh, Labor Day or whatever. I don't know what it is. Look at that blue, blue skies, even down under. Thank you, John. You Thank, you. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Mark. Bye bye. Thanks, Patrick. Printed on the box I see. Acme's build a world to be. Take a chance, grab a piece. Help me to believe it. What kind of world do you want? Think anything. Let's start at the start. Build a master. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. 
Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $140. $49.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System.
All right, good evening all. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It is the 20th of August, 2015. It's Thursday, and it's about nine minutes after 8 p.m. Pacific time, if that's when it is where you're at. We are, in fact, live. 800-932-1980 is how you can call in and participate in the show. 800-932-1980. Toll free, as if that matters anymore. But anyway, you can also participate from the chat room, which is located at our website, theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com. You'll see the chat link. Click it. Go on in there. You can participate. You cannot participate. It's up to you. Whatever you prefer, you can just chat with the other folks in there. You can play Stump the Room, which we will play at the uh, break, which means uh, I play music, you guess the band. That simple. And actually, it's not supposed to be guessing. It's try to rattle your memory, you know, if you've ever heard it before, to try to remember who it was. Then again, I guess if you've never heard it, it's time to guess. But anyway, that's the game can also uh, contact me directly on Yahoo Instant Messenger. The screen name is AVRN Talk. Man, okay, here's the thing. I gotta, uh, I gotta go over here for a second and uh, close this door. It got really hot in here, and I had to open the door, but it is so smoky outside that it's better, I think, to be hot and be able to breathe than it is to be cooler and not be able to breathe. So give me a second. Okay, a couple of seconds, but there. Wow, that's harsh, man. It's pretty smoky outside. Again, it comes and goes in this valley. It just depends on which way the wind blows. Sometimes it's clear here and nice and, uh, you know, breathable, and then, boom, an hour later, it's, you know... You can, it's just bad. Anyhow, so, let's get on to some things and stuff. Oh, look. Gee, a big, a big blue screen just came up. And, uh, hey, Skype is enhancing my experience. That's always fun when Skype enhances my experience. Yeah, yeah, that's what I need. Not... Anyhow, let's get to uh, some stuff here. All my other screens are now blank because I'm being enhanced. See, this is enhanced. Yeah. Ah, man. Okay, illegal aliens who show up at the border, they've been resettled all across the United States of America instead of being detained and deported. According to the data from the Justice Department obtained by Breitbart News, 96% of Central Americans caught illegally crossing into the border last summer, that's 96%, are still in the United States. Now, Breitbart News has learned exclusively that a Freedom of Information Act request from a pro-security group about the cost of this operation is being stonewalled. 
In January 2015, the Immigration Reform Law Institute, on behalf of the Federation for American Immigration Reform, filed a FOIA request to discover the cost of accommodating the tens of thousands of illegal, unaccompanied minors who came across the border, encouraged by Obama's 2012 executive amnesty for illegal youths. The FOIA letter made five requests of the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency that the federal agency detail. One, the costs of building of family detention centers. Two, the costs of apprehending, processing, and detaining unaccompanied minors. Three, the costs transporting, transferring, removing, and repatriating unaccompanied minors. Four, the costs related to ICE's representation of government in removing in removal procedures involving unaccompanied minors, and five, the number of instances where objections to the return of unaccompanied minors were raised by the governments of Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. The federal agency, however, refused to answer many of these questions, instead only partially answering two of the five requests. The agency provided only the costs of transporting, transferring, and removing illegal minors, as well as the costs of the man-hours such tasks required. Those costs totaled $58.2 million, quadrupling ICE's costs of $15.6 million in the year previous. Fair told Breitbart News that the agency did not provide clear documentation nor explanation at how it arrived at this estimation. Fair asserts that the failure to provide most of the cost information related to the surge of unaccompanied minors indicates that the government has either failed to properly document those costs or is refusing to reveal them. Because this FOIA request only inquired into the fiscal impact of the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency, it does not take all take into account the cost incurred by the Department of Health and Human Services, nor the public education system, because most of the unaccompanied minors were turned over to HHS following their apprehension. Fair notes that HHS costs for providing shelter, food, education, health, care, and other services likely vastly exceed additional costs incurred by ICE. The flood of minors has also placed fiscal strains on our public education system. Fair notes that 68,541 unaccompanied minors were apprehended entering the U.S. Virtually all of them have been allowed to remain in the U.S. at least temporarily. Because federal law dictates that all children are entitled to an education regardless of their immigration status, the fiscal burden of educating these students has fallen onto our public education system. As Fair notes, educating 68,541 illegal immigrant children at an average annual cost of $12,400 per children enrolled in K-12 education, the annual cost to local schools as it is at least $850 million. Yes, and they're not taking into account all the special needs like, oh, we have to have Spanish-speaking translators and such. So that eighty-five million, that $850 million, folks, is probably closer to a billion dollars. You know, folks, I, look, when we're in a country with $18 trillion in debt, you may not think a couple of billion dollars costs, you know, for these illegals is much. 
and maybe in the big picture it isn't, but it's still a couple of billion dollars. Uh, look, okay, a couple of billion dollars. How much are we spending on the homeless veterans in this country? How much are we spending on homeless American citizens in this country? What are we doing to homeless American citizens? Are we giving them soccer balls and nice places to live? No, we're not. We're running them out of town or locking them up in jail or getting them beat up by the police so they don't come back. Because you're bad for business here. That's what we're doing to homeless American citizens while we spend billions of dollars taking care of little rats that come from you know, other cesspools around the world who don't even speak English, who will probably never learn to speak English, and who are nothing but a bunch of criminals. And we do nothing for our own. Actually, we do worse than nothing. We not only don't help our own, we abuse them. Oh, I'm sorry, we're going to make it illegal to feed the homeless. Because you just encourage them to be here, and we don't want them here. Oh, if you're homeless, you better not lay down on that park bench. We'll arrest you. Yeah, 10 states and the District of Columbia now issue driver licenses to illegal aliens as the summer of 2015, as of the summer 2015. Here it comes. Keep your eyes listening here because, um, you know, let's hear if your state's in here. These are the states that issue driver licenses to illegal aliens. California, Colorado, Connecticut, Illinois, Maryland, Nevada, New Mexico, Utah, Vermont, and Washington, as well as D.C., issue driver licenses to illegal aliens. The states are estimated to have an illegal alien population of 4,120,000 combined. The report says that nearly 37% of illegal aliens live in an area where they may obtain a driver license. The decision to allow illegal aliens to obtain driver licenses is made at the state level, and debates about issuing licenses often uh, address the impact on public safety, insurance, and accident rates. For instance, many states reported that applicants had difficulty passing written, written tests and needed to take them several times before they did so. Illegal aliens... Are, docu- are undocumented, which raises the specter of fraud. Some holders may have used false identities, addresses, or documents to obtain their licenses. In addition to public safety and fraud issues, there are also higher costs associated with offering these licenses. The number of potential applicants affects staffing and fina- uh, fi- facility needs, licensing processing, and insurance and expected costs in revenue, states Pew. The cost of new personnel was the largest anticipated expense. The report found that California, Illinois, Connecticut, Maryland, Colorado, Nevada, and the District of Columbia created an additional 1,039 positions because of the policy. California's fiscal summary estimated costs of approximately $140 million to $220 million and application fee revenue of approximately $50 million over the last three years. Gee, 
Boy, that's real good. You're raking in fifty million, but you're spending two hundred and twenty million. I wonder why California is going bankrupt because of good decisions like that. The state's 2014-2015 budget allocated $67 million to issue licenses to unauthorized aliens and included a mechanism for increasing funding if the number of applicants proved unexpectedly high. States must also factor in costs associated with changes to computer systems and programming to allow this new policy. Colorado reported that it undertook major uh, programmatic and computer system changes to be able to accept new types of documents. The state's fiscal note estimated a one-time information technology cost of over $425,000. Man... And what's the benefit? What's the benefit to the American people? There isn't any. Yeah, that's the answer to that. There isn't any. All right, so last night I I talked a little bit about Jeb Bush and what a crook he is. You know, and uh, I'm going to keep it up because... You know, look, the mainstream media is pretty much keeping up with Hillary's a crook, okay? But Jeb Bush is getting kind of a free ride so far through the major media. I mean, they're not reporting on stuff about him. I mean, Hillary, yeah, she's so obviously a crook, it's not even funny. But, you know, what about Jeb? Let's let, let's read about how Jeb Bush funneled pension money to Lehman before getting a $1.3 million a year consulting job at, guess where? Yeah, Lehman. At this point, it almost feels like kicking someone while he's down. Jeb Bush can't even stand up to Donald Trump, let alone his own growing series of scandals. And the latest revelation from David Sorota, a team at International Business Daily, we learned that. For Florida taxpayers, the move by the administration of then-Governor Jeb Bush to forge a relationship with Lehman Brothers would ultimately prove disastrous. Transactions in 2005 and 2006 put the Wall Street Investment Bank in charge of some $250 million worth of pension funds for Florida cops, teachers, and firefighters. Lehman would capture more than $5 million in fees on these deals, while gaining additional contracts to manage another $1.2 billion of Florida's money. Then, in the fall of 2008, Lehman collapsed into bankruptcy, leaving Florida facing up to $1 billion in losses. But for Jeb Bush personally... His enduring relationship with Lehman would prove lucrative. In 2007, just as he left office, Bush secured a job as a Lehman consultant for $1.3 million a year. Man. Weeks after Bush took the Lehman job, the Florida State Board of Administration, a three-member board that makes investment decisions about state pension funds and whose ranks had recently included one Jeb Bush, gave Lehman additional business. 
SBA purchased $842 million worth of separate investments in Lehman's mortgage-backed securities. Over the course of one year, from June 2007 to June 2008, the SBA, that is the Florida State Board of Administration, remember, the SBA would shift an additional $420 million of pension money into the same fund in which the state had begun investing under Bush. In short, during Bush's first year working for Lehman, his former colleagues in Tallahassee, the state capital, moved vast sums of Florida pension money into the doomed Wall Street Investment Bank, even as warnings about its financial troubles began to emerge. This is a breathtaking conflict of interest going on here, said Craig Holman, governmental ethics lobbyist with Public Citizen, a good government group. This cost Florida very dearly and enriched Jeb Bush personally. Jeff Conotgan, uh, author of the book The Payoff, Why Wall Street Always Wins, said the transactions illustrate a larger culture that dominates politics of finance. Florida originally began investing money in Lehman in 2005, while Bush was the highest-profile member of SBA, which oversees the $150 billion pension fund. The Bush-led SBA that year committed $176 million to Lehman. In 2006, as Florida moved another $87 million into the Lehman investment, the firm hired Jeb Bush's cousin, George Herbert Walker to run the firm's investment management division. The next year, hey, are we getting a picture here? Anytime the Bushes run a business, it goes bankrupt and down the tubes. Kind of like the United States. Hey, we've had two Bushes so far. Maybe the third one's the charm and can finally finish us off, eh? The next year, Lehman offered the outgoing Florida governor the consulting job. What the hell does he know about anything? Bush had worked briefly at a Texas-based bank after college, but he lacked significant Wall Street experience. Doesn't matter. $1.3 billion, it's just a payoff, folks. Most of the investment losses that hit Florida starting in July 2007 were tied to the Lehman Mortgage-backed securities bought that year by Bush began his employment at the firm. Oh, man. You see, he's not just a drug dealer, okay, folks? I mean, you know, there's more. This guy is a multifaceted criminal, kind of like Hillary, except, you know, with a, well, well, maybe Hillary has one of those, too. We're not sure, but anyway, they're not much different, okay? They're criminals. You get it? Criminals. Now, look, I'm not saying Donald Trump's not a criminal, too, okay? Because these are the people Donald Trump does business with. But then again, you know, Donald Trump will call them what they are. When he, when he talked about bankers, he said they're killers. And they are. And that's who Bush is. A killer. Hillary Clinton, a killer. These are bad people, folks. And, and this country has been overrun by them. And you know what? So maybe, on one hand, maybe we should look at, okay... So which one of these clowns is the one that's going to just, you know, punch the accelerator through the floorboard and let's get this over with and bring the sucker down? 
Because really that's the only hope left for this country, folks, is that we hit the wall, crash and burn, and, you know, then somewhere along the line, we rebuild. Because we can't fix this. This is not fixable. Sometimes things get broken to a point where you can't fix it. It's too broken. It, you can't fix it anymore. All you can do is just say, you know, burn it down, man. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Just end it. Because it can't be fixed. That's where I think we are in the United States. I'm sad. I, you know, I don't like to say that. I don't like to think that, man. I I grew up in this country just like you, man. I was the, you know, the little American uh, warmonger, you know. Let, uh, let's get the Soviet Union, blah, 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 blah. You know, but, you know, you grow up and you put away the childish things. And you start looking at the, the world the way it really is. Well... Not so much in America, I guess. But, you know, it would be a good idea if we started doing that. But what we're going to do instead is we're going to take a break. And when we come back, I got an article here about that. Now this is the headline of it. Americans don't know that the rest of the world views the U.S. as the biggest danger rogue state. Because you live in a fantasy world, folks, where you walk around going, la, 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 we're the good guys, we're good, we're good, we're la, 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 la. It's not what everybody else sees, okay? We'll be back in just a few.
Farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, and Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188 That's 800-375-4188 Protect yourself and your family. Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149. $49.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System.
All right, we're back. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Steffen, and you're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It's still the 20th of August, 2015, Thursday. It's about 8.39 and a half out here on the Pacific Time Coast. If that all works out for you, meaning it's live, you can call in 800-932-1980, 800-932-1980. You know, you can play Stump the Room by calling in, too. Okay, and uh, but you'll have to call in, you know, quickly. Eight hundred nine three two nineteen eighty. You can also go to the chat room. That's where most people play from, and they are, and they guessed wrong on all all counts. Uh, so far, anyway, maybe somebody will come in in the last minute because I'm going to give the way you can get to the chat room. Go to our website, theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com. And you can uh, hit the chat link, and you'll be in there. And nope, that's wrong. And, uh, well, I'm talking about uh, one one more guess. And you can also instant message me on Yahoo Instant Messenger, which comes just to me. ABRN Talk is the screen name. Now, the chat room and the Yahoo, you can do any time. The call-in has to be during live shows. All right, well, I'm going to tell you who did the songs, okay? The first song is Down to Whiskey. Yes, there was a little theme tonight about the songs. The first one was Down to Whiskey, and that was by Eric Sardinas. And the second one was called The Drinker, and it's by the Minglewood Band. Nobody got it? Another win. I am on a definite winning streak. I don't think I've dropped, oh, but maybe one song in the last, I don't know, maybe week. Anyhow, that that kind of offsets all those losing streaks I had. Well, you know, where everybody got everything all the time. All right, let's get to uh, this. I know it's going to be a shock to some of you, but it isn't a shock to me because, I mean, what what do you think? I mean, do you really believe all the propaganda? Do you? I mean, it's nice to believe it, but, you know, if it's not true, it's not true, and everybody else can see it. According to the leading Western polling agencies, the prize for the greatest threat is won by the United States. The rest of the world regards it as the gravest threat to world peace by a large margin. In second place, far below, is Pakistan. It's ranking probably inflated by the Indian vote. Iran is ranked below those two, along with China, Israel, North Korea, and Afghanistan. Fifteen years ago, the prominent political analyst Samuel Huntington, professor of science of government at Harvard, warned in the establishment journal Foreign Affairs that for much of the world, the United States was becoming the rogue superpower, the single greatest external threat to their societies. Shortly after, his words were echoed by Robert Jervis the president of the American Political Science Association. 
in the eyes of much of the world, in fact, the prime rogue state today is the United States. As we have seen, global opinion supports this judgment by a substantial margin. But Americans don't know any of that. We assume the rest of the world loves and respects us as we are soon spoon-fed the world's greatest and exceptional country, Pablum, from the mainstream media. Think about it, folks. You know, is it really because they hate our freedoms? Is that it? Is that really it? Because they hate all our freedoms? Or is it because we really are a rogue nation? I think it's because we're really a rogue nation. It's like I've been saying, folks. I've been trying to get it through your heads. The United States federal government is the biggest threat to every living thing on the planet. It doesn't matter if you're a tree in the Amazon or some turtle crossing the, the desert somewhere. Or you're an American citizen or some rag-wearing, you know, Benoit in the middle of the desert. The United States federal government is the biggest threat to you ever in the world. And the rest of the world knows it. It's time you started knowing it and started then doing something about it. But you see, that's why the American people don't want to know it. Because if they know it, then they would feel obligated to do something about it. And God forbid any American ever get up off the couch and do anything about anything. Here's a story about a retired four-star army general. Yeah, and his neighbors. They're accusing police in Fayetteville, Georgia, of using excessive force to arrest him following an alleged dispute with a food delivery driver. Now... Let's not... This guy's 84 years old, okay? So it's not like this is some young stud who's some kind of threat, right? It's the first time in my life I'm ashamed of being American. 84-year-old William J. Livesey told the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, They took me away without my shoes, glasses, or medicine. I fought for this country so hard and I've tried to do good all my life. Livesey was arrested at his home on Saturday and charged with simple assault, robbery, misdemeanor obstruction, theft, and making terroristic threats. Police said he grabbed the driver by the throat and pinned him against the refrigerator when Livesey's credit debit card was not accepted and the driver said he could not take a check to pay for an order. Authorities said the former commander of U.S. forces in South Korea then resisted when officers tried to handcuff him before attempting to punch one of the officers and kick another one, all while making threatening and disparaging disparaging remarks. You mean like pig? You fat, stinking pig? Murdering assassin of tyrants? You mean disparaging like that? Because that's what I can think of. But I don't think that's illegal. Ten officers, ten, were reportedly called to the scene to arrest one 84-year-old man. Can you imagine? Just blown out of proportion, a neighbor told WSB-TV. Way too many police for that. Way too many. And the way they handcuffed him was ridiculous. See, these are reasonable people watching 
an unreasonable scene. Not writing a a fictional police report. Okay? These police reports that they write are complete lies 90% of the time. The Journal-Constitution noted that a portion of Highway 314 in town was renamed the General Bill Leavesy Highway in Leavesy's honor. He retired from duty in 1987 following a career that saw him win the Distinguished Flying Cross, Silver Star, and Distinguished Service Medal, among many others. Livesey's bond was originally set at $12,000, but he said a local judge released him on his own recognizance. A photograph of Livesey's wrist after the arrest showed lacerations, but he told WSB on Thursday he was feeling better. I feel like I could wipe a tiger's ass with sandpaper, he said. Well, you know, he also said, it's the first time in my life I'm ashamed to be an American. Well, you know what? The only thing we've got to be ashamed for is the fact that we're allowing pigs like this to do things like this. You know what? Honestly, and I would have liked to seen the neighbors all grab their guns and surround the police and tell them, put your guns down, get on the ground face down, and handcuff every last one of them. Pull down their pants and send them off down the road in their underwear, handcuffed. That's what I'd like to see happen. And if you come back, well, fine. Have a shootout with the whole neighborhood. I mean, really, this is what we have to be ashamed of, folks. Because I'm not taking responsibility for those cops' actions. I don't have to be ashamed of their actions. But yeah, if I let it happen, I'd be ashamed that I did let it happen. Nancy Pelosi, here's another true American. GOP push to stop Iran nuclear deal doesn't have enough votes. You know, she's playing politics here. Like, ha 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 ha, the GOP doesn't have enough votes. Ha 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 ha. Meanwhile, the fact of the matter is this is a bad deal with Iran doesn't come into it. No, no. It's a Democratic president's deal, and by golly, it doesn't matter if it's bad or not. It's Democratic, and they got to support it, even if it's bad for America. It doesn't matter. It's Democratic. It's, you got to stick with the team. This is her little party thing. This remind you of Hitler at all? That's why I call her Nazi Pelosi. Because she runs her party. She runs her business as a representative. Just like the Nazis did. It's all about party, party, loyalty, loyalty. It doesn't matter what's good for the country. How did the Nazis' ideas work out for Germany? Oh, not so good, huh? Oh, yeah, that's right. Left the country defeated and in rubble. Yeah. Well, hey, guess what? Get used to that idea. Defeated and in rubble. 
Because that's where we're headed, folks. Oh, and bankrupt. Don't forget that. House Minority Leader says Republicans will not be able to veto the deal in the House, as Senate also seems secure for Barack Obama. This is all about Barack Obama and the Democrats. It's a, it's a bad deal. Barack Obama has enough votes to get the Iran deal through the House of Representatives, despite Republican efforts to block the historic nuclear accord. Has she read the historic nuclear accord? I mean, honestly. On Wednesday, Joe Donnelly became the 24th Democrat in the Senate to publicly back the deal. A key gain for the Obama administration, given the Indiana senator ranks among the chamber's most conservative Democrats and faces a tough re-election battle in 2016. Despite, see, he doesn't give a damn. The reason he's going for this is he got the promise of, uh, if you lose the election, we got a nice cherry Big million-dollar job for you over here. Don't worry about it. Just vote the way we tell you. That's why he's voting. That's why he's shifting. Despite having questions about Iran's intentions, I'm willing to give this agreement the opportunity to succeed, Donnelly said in a statement. While I share the concerns expressed by the agreement's critics about what may happen 10, 15 years from now, I cannot in good conscience take action that would shift the potential risks of 2026 and 2031 to 2016. In other words, I don't want to have to deal with the bad news. Let's shift the risks over to our children and our grandchildren. Screw those little bastards anyway. It's all just rhetoric about talking about it's all for the children anyway. This guy's just saying this. He cannot, in good conscience, take the action that would shift the potential risks of 2026 and 2031 to 2016. No, the hell with the children. Let them deal with it. Let them deal with the debt. Let them deal with no Social Security. Let them deal with all of it. We're going to take ours now. We're spending our inheritance now as he drives down the road in his nice Winnebago. These are the people running your country. This is grandma and grandpa these days, folks. You know what? Don't be surprised when these children turn around and kill you. And I can't blame them. I can't blame them. I won't blame them when they turn around and kill grandma and grandpa for this. Because grandma and grandpa now know what they're doing. It's obvious. He just said it. I cannot in good conscience take action that would shift the potential risks of 2026 and 2031 to to 2016. In other words, let the little bastards deal with it in 2026. But we're going to be safe and rich now. Because I'll be dead in 10 years and I don't really care. Yeah. His endorsement came despite an Associated Press report which disclosed that Iran will be allowed to use its own inspectors to investigate its Parachin nuclear site. 
Oh, an internal investigation. I wonder what will happen there. Oh, do you think it might be just like where the cops do an internal investigation and always, always clear the police officer of no wrongdoing and shooting that 14-year-old in the back while he was running away was justified? We've done an internal investigation and we found out that. Uh-huh. Good deal. Wow. Well, there you have it. Don't be surprised, you know, and don't cry to me. Oh, well, we're supposed to respect our elders. Not when they do stuff like this, folks. Not when they do things like this. Oh, and your day is coming, Grandma, Grandpa, because you know what you're doing. You know what you're doing. That's the point. You know this whole thing's collapsed. You know it can't be paid for, and you don't give a damn. You want your payments now. You want your Social Security now. You want your IRAs and your CDs, and you want them now. I earned it. I worked my whole life for it. I earned it. I don't care if the children have to pay. I don't care if my children have to live in poverty. I want mine now. That's Grandma and Grandpa. I say crank up the hospices. Sorry, Grandma, Grandpa. You know, that kind of attitude is just, well, it's delirious. And you must be mentally ill. Why don't we go help you along? Yeah? You know, the Bible speaks to that in the end times. Yeah, how the children going to kill their parents. Boy, oh boy, can you see it coming? Hey, you know what? Guess what? The experts are saying, oh, hey, oh, oh, oh big surprise. Hey, quantitative easing didn't work. <laughs> wow, really? Oh, boy, what a surprise. Gee, I thought it was working great. What do you mean it didn't work? Oh, yeah, trillions and trillions of dollars given away to big corporations and banks all around didn't work. I wonder why. Oh, I know why. Because they gave it to the banks and they said, well, we're going to give this to the banks and the banks, therefore, will have lots of money to lend to all the people out there and that will generate, you know, growth. Except the banks decide to keep it all. No, we're keeping it all. We're not lending it out. We're keeping it all. Hey, we don't care if the interest rate is like 1% or below. We're still going to charge 27% on credit cards. We don't care. We're keeping it all. We're keeping it all. Gee, I wonder why that didn't help the economy. You know, if they would have taken the same amount of money and divvied it up and said, okay, we're going to give Every man, woman, and child who is a citizen in this country, we're going to divvy it up and give them their portion. You know, people would have taken that money and went out and spent it. Because that's what poor people and middle class people do. They get extra money, they go out and spend it. They buy things, or they pay off stuff, and then they can buy more things. That's what they do. That's what everybody does. See, corporations say, oh no. We're going to rat hole this money. 
we're going to give ourselves some big, uh, you know, things, and we're going to take it offshore where we can make even more money. That doesn't help the economy of the United States. Giving it to the middle class and poor people to spend would have. But, oh, no, we don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Anyway, we're going to have to go, and uh, I'll be back again tomorrow. Tomorrow's Friday again. Boy, the week sure go fast, and uh, noon, noon I'll be here. So if you're listening at night uh, tomorrow or Friday, if you're listening on Friday night, uh, you'll probably be listening to the the noon show from tomorrow. So anyway, if you want to hear it live, you'll have to tune in at noon. If not, it'll be in the archives. And as always, thanks for listening. heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. 
Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149. $49.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. Carl Miller is an expert on the Constitution of the United States and the Bill of Rights. He has studied law for over 25 years and has a courtroom win-loss rate of over 90%. He is not an attorney. Carl prefers representing himself in propria persona, as he delights in tying federal prosecutors in knots, often winning the praise and respect of the judges at the same time. Carl is a highly decorated hero of the Vietnam War, serving in the elite Apache troop as a paratrooper and crew chief. The famous movie, Apocalypse Now, and the best-selling book, Apache Sunrise, are based on the true life experiences of this group of brave and patriotic Americans. Carl Miller was inducted into the top-secret project, Blue Book, and he considers it an honor to have served in several operations supporting Lieutenant Colonel James Bo Greitz, including Operation Eagle Snatch. Carl is a veteran of hundreds of dangerous parachute jumps, breaking his legs or ankles six times. Shot down four times, personally shot twice, Carl has miraculously escaped death numerous times. Carl credits divine intervention and God's providence for preserving his life unto this day so he may complete the most important mission of his life, that of teaching others the importance of the Constitution of the United States and how to use it, and by using it, thus preserving it. Carl has taught hundreds of people, including housewives and truck drivers, the fine art of arguing the Constitution and winning in court. Carl says it's easy once you know how, and a whole lot of fun, too. Good evening, folks. I want to thank you for inviting me into your home tonight to talk to you about an extremely important issue to you. I, I basically uh, uh, am here to talk about the United States Constitution and our government and uh, some of the principles that... Uh, you need to understand most thoroughly so that you can have an effective opportunity to exercise your constitutional rights. The whole purpose of this is that you understand that these, these rights come from God, okay, that they are God-inspired. God is the one who, who endowed us with these rights, and that this Constitution merely uh, offers a legitimate program to protect those rights or to secure those rights and the blessings of those rights on ourselves and on our children for all time. It's important that you understand that the Constitution is 
uh, God-inspired. It's important that you understand that a lot of the principles that are in the Constitution actually come out of the Holy Bible, okay? And it's very important that you understand that this Constitution allows each of you each to be a king or queen in your own right, as long as you recognize one principle, that you don't ever create a situation where you take away the rights of another. So the whole point of, of having the Constitution is so that all of us can have the rights equally, and, and, and as long as we respect our neighbor and allow them also to have the rights equally, the, the, the protections are, are, are going to last forever. And, and the reality is that we are going to get thoroughly into your constitution. We want you to find a constitution wherever you can, and we are going to basically take you step by step through some of the most important parts of this constitution so that you can better exercise your rights in a timely fashion. Now, the facts are simple. If you don't know your rights, you don't have any rights, and that's just the way it is. And if you certainly couldn't exercise those rights timely if you don't know what they are, so what's going to happen is they're going to tell you what your rights are, and do you think they're going to tell you in your favor? Certainly not. Now. We've come a long way to put this program on to help you. By the way, my name is Carl Miller. I want to thank you again for inviting me into your home. We're going to proceed with vigor. Uh, I should tell you a few things about me, that I'm a, a prior service soldier. I served three combat tours in the Republic of Vietnam. I should tell you that I was a participant in the top secret project called Blue Book, where the officers in the jungle smelled a rat in a woodpile, and they decided to pull their, their top soldiers aside and they come on over here, let's come on over here. We want to talk to you. And they took their top soldiers in the corner, and they started teaching them things like duty, honor, country, pride in the Corps. They taught us history. They taught us all kind of a, a programming as far as what's going on in our government. They taught us the Constitution. We had to be able to rattle the Constitution off just like we would any manual of arms. And this all took place to totally top secret so that we wouldn't offend any uh, chains of command or any uh, presidential problems similar to what... Uh, happened between General MacArthur. Yeah, the bottom line is uh, this was taken totally uh, upon their own, shall we say, careers to pull this thing off. And uh, they, this happened all throughout a lot of the military services in Vietnam. Uh, Marine Corps, Air Force, Army, we all, they all pulled aside their best people and they started putting everything on and teaching us our Constitution. So I'm going to try and instill in you that flame that was instilled in me over 25 years ago, in which I have, been, I have been transferring ever since. I have been fighting tooth and nail to defend the Constitution. I have helped thousands and thousands and thousands of other people do the same. I teach people how to be their own counsel, to stand up in courts of law, and be able to exercise their constitutional rights in a timely and effective manner. And uh, the good Lord willing, I'll be able to keep doing that. So why don't we uh, right now try and get into some parts of the Constitution. The most important thing that I can teach you about this Constitution is the importance of reading it. You must read the Constitution and understand what physically is involved. You must know your rights and timely assert them. That is your burden. If you do not, then a legal term called latches incurs is in full force. Latches is a legal term which is defined as, an, as a... Latches is a species of action wherein a party of reasonable intelligence and integrity, having a right to take an action as is prescribed by law and having failed to timely do so, loses all right to proceed. So what is actually happening out there, folks, is that latches is incurring because most people don't read their constitution and know what's involved. So then you are left to being told, well, that's what it means. 
Okay, and so you just got to do what you got to do, and you're told, and, and they're going to tell you in favor of them. They're not going to tell you in favor of you. So it's better for you to read the book and understand what's in it. It's not a very big book. I, I highly recommend the book. I, you can get several versions. Uh, a lot of times you contact your congressman. Uh, my congressman, Dominic Vincentini, uh, state senator, supplied this one for me. Uh, John Kuhn, a libertarian candidate, has supplied several also. Uh, some of these folks, uh, just check with your local uh, congressman or state rep. Uh, a lot of times you can they'll just give you one. If you cannot find one, go down to your United States uh, government building here in the Detroit vicinity. We, it's called the McNamara Building on the first floor. And uh, what we do then is we uh, go into the government printing office, and usually they're about a buck. But I highly recommend you go get one. I, I don't leave home without mine. I usually have three or four of them someplace. And I hand them out also myself. I give them out to whoever. I, I think one of the most kindest things I can do to a person is give them this book and show them how it works. This book is kind of like a genie in a bottle. If you know how to stroke this book, I'm telling you, the genie comes out. And it usually with a force that, that you it will be clearly recognized in any court in the land. Now that doesn't mean it'll be easy. You might have to work a little bit. But basically there's an argument, and it comes like this. If I violate your rights, you may or may not know about it. If you know about it, you may or may not be able to do something about it. If you do have an ability to do something about it, you may or may not have the financial wherewithal to, to go to a finished program. If you do have the, the financial wherewithal, you may not have the intestinal fortitude to go to a finished program. So most of the time, your governments and your, your abusive uh, personalities in government or your corporations uh, pretty much have carte blanche to, to injure you. Because in 99.9% .9 of the cases, nobody, most people will not proceed. But every now and then, you run into that one hard nut, and he doesn't quit or she doesn't quit till. The cows come home, and what happens is that person will prevail. And those are the people that are actually generating better protections and better constitutional rights for you. Those are the ones that are going to the Supreme Courts and the Courts of Appeals and what have you that are pushing, that are spending their life funds to allow you to have the benefit. But if you aren't there to catch the benefit, then you, you the benefit is lost. So we're going to get right into the Constitution. We're going to teach you some things about it. Pay attention, because we're really doing this out of an act of love for you, and we're hoping to God you're going to pick up on it and pay attention. Okay? Now, I'm going to put one Constitution down here so the folks can see it. I will open this up from time to time to demonstrate things to you. I will basically try and read out of another Constitution so that we can better show you some of the things that are involved. Now, it's important that you understand that this Constitution is in writing. It's important that you understand that it is a legal document, okay? That it was ratified by all of the members in a Congress together, right? And that that document can be, you can get all the signatures on the document, okay? And it's important that you understand that there was an offer, government offered to govern. There was a consideration. The citizens considered how they were going to be governed. And government promised that they would govern by constitution. And there was an agreement. The citizens agreed that if government promised there would be a government by constitution, that they would agree to allow the constitution into force. Now, there's a unique situation here. It's very rare when you find the party of the first part, which is the congressmen, officers of the government, who are also parties of the second part. 
as representatives of we the people, the republic. And when they signed the document, they signed the document as officers of government, agreeing to the Constitution, and simultaneously as officers of representatives of the people in the republican form of government. And when they signed that document, that constituted a ironclad contract in writing enforceable in a court of law pursuant to the statute of frauds. Here in the state of Michigan, that's 566.132 Michigan Compiled Laws Act, which basically states anything in writing is enforceable in the court of law pursuant to the statute of frauds. Now, all we're asking is that they enforce the contract. We want them to enforce the contract. In other words, if we read something in here and we got a good reason for why we believe it's the way it is, then they should honor that. And they should honor it in favor of you, the clearly intended and expressly designated beneficiary. But I'll get into that a little later. The program that you should understand, especially, is Article 6, Paragraph 2 of the Constitution. This is called the Supremacy Clause of the Constitution. It's located at Article 6. Everybody see that? Paragraph 2, which is going to start right here, and I'm going to read it to you. Okay? And basically what it says is this, this Constitution and the laws of the United States, which shall be made in pursuance thereof, and the treaties made or which shall be made under the authority of the United States, shall be the supreme law of the land, and the judges in every state shall be bound thereby anything in the Constitution, or laws of any state, to the contrary, or notwithstanding. When they say notwithstanding, that means notwithstanding in law. That means that's a legal definition. Notwithstanding means notwithstanding in law. Now, a very important case, Marbury versus Madison, 5 U.S. 137. Pardon my reaching here. Marbury versus Madison, 5 U.S. 137. It's recorded at Volume 5. Right here, it's an 1803 case, Marbury versus Madison. It's recorded in Volume 5, page 137. Now, basically what this case states, and, and I'm telling you right now, if you want to use a case to cite for any purpose in court, you have to read the case. If you haven't read the case, you haven't read the case and formed a basis upon which a logical determination in your mind could have been reached to form an opinion as to why you should do what you're going to do, then the judge will throw your case out. So read your cases. Don't just quote cases because that won't, you won't win. If the judge ever pins you down and starts asking you some merits of the case and you can't even understand what the case is about, nine times out of ten, he's just going to throw your case in the, in, the, in the can. So make sure you read the case. This is one of the leading cases in the history of the United States of America. The opinion of the court was given by the Honorable Judge John Marshall, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. His opinion was, anything that is in conflict is null and void of law. Clearly, he said, that for a secondary law to come in conflict with the Supreme Law was illogical. For certainly the Supreme Law would prevail over all other law. And certainly our forefathers had intended that the Supreme Law would be the basis of all law. And for any law to come in conflict would be null and void of law. It would bear no power to enforce. It would bear no obligation to obey. It would purport to settle as if it never existed, for unconstitutionality would date from the enactment of such a law, not from the date so branded in an open court of law. 
No courts are bound to uphold it, and no citizens are bound to obey it. It operates as a mere nullity or a fiction of law, which means it doesn't exist in law. Now let me give you an example in today's timing as to how effective this is. This argument is so effective that it literally nullifies the Brady Bill, it nullifies the crime bill that takes away the right of the people to keep and bear arms on these 19 weapons that turn into 159 weapons. It uh, stops this 666 bill that just went through that they're trying to take away the Fourth Amendment. You see, because they have no power to pass a law that's in conflict with the United States Constitution. And it's automatically null and void of law from its inception, not from the date you go to court and brand it as unconstitutional. Now, I want to get that real clear. A lot of people think that they got to go to court and brand it unconstitutional. I'm here to tell you, if you know your arguments and you can show your arguments, most of the time you will win. Every now and then you run into a hard nose, but I'll show you how to deal with him too, okay? But for now, I want everybody that's got a chance to go out to learn your Constitution, your Article 6, Paragraph 2 of your Constitution. I want you to, to pay attention to what's going on here. Learn to read about this Marbury versus Madison case. I want to show you, pardon my reach again, this right here is an example of what is called Shepherd Citations. Shepherd Citations is a group of reporters that go through and keep track of all the court cases that have come before the courts, especially the Supreme Court. And they clarify before the court all of the cases. Each one of these little numbers here represents somebody hiring a lawyer and going to the Supreme Court. Every one of these. There's nine pages of these folks. Almost 200 years worth that goes against this case, Marbury versus Madison. And I want to tell you, this case is still supreme law of the land. If it wasn't, you would see O's in here where it was overturned, okay? You don't see any O's. There aren't any O's. That means the case is standing. There'd be an O in this column right next to here. You don't see any O's because there's no case that could come up against this case. That's how strong this case is, folks. Now, this is nine pages. Each one. This is two pages each. There's nine pages of this. This represents, if I was to, to, to try and teach you what this represents, if I was building a wall from here to the moon, out of bricks, that's what that would mean in legal terms. Because that's how solid this case is. So it's very important that you understand your Constitution is an ironclad contract in writing enforceable in the court of law. It's very important that you understand Article 6, Paragraph 2, the Supremacy Clause, which says the Constitution and the laws in pursuance thereof and the treaties made or which shall be made under the authority of the United States shall be the supreme law of the land. The judges in every state shall be bound thereby. Anything in conflict or repugnancy is null and void of law. It bears no power to enforce, no obligation to obey, purports to settle as if it never existed. Unconstitutionality dates from the enactment. No courts are bound to uphold it. No citizens are bound to obey it. Now that is one of the most important lessons that I can teach you in the Constitution so that you can understand how strong this document is. You see. And when I go to the law library and I hit some of these law libraries, it's wall-to-wall -wall books, folks. I mean, it's like I take people down there and their chin's on the ground. And then I tell them there's three floors of this place just like this, filled to the brim with books and books. And did you know that in every one of those cases, this little book right here, this one right here, folks, controls every single book in that law library, every single one. Every single book in that law library is controlled by this little book. So can you understand how important it is for you to know what's in this little book so that you can effectively call on that kind of a commanding knowledge? Okay? It is absolutely vital that you 
get a hold of one of these books and start learning it and don't let anybody take away your constitutional rights. You cannot, you can't even give your constitutional rights away. You have to voluntarily acquiesce by signing a document on a Miranda release form. That's how hard it is to give away your constitutional rights. We don't want you to give away any of your rights. We want you to know these rights backward, forward, upside down, and other. We want you to be able to rattle them off. Our soldiers could do it. And they did it with, with the great love in their heart and the pride and the, and the duty that they hold in their heart. And they swore on a sacred oath that they defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And then they perform their duties to the best of their ability, so help them God. And by God, they do, both in the service and out of the service, okay? We defend the Constitution to the death. We never surrender. We are soldiers above all. And we love our country and our flag and our Constitution. We are what the, the term is under the, the military code of conduct. I am an American fighting soldier. I serve the forces which guard my country and its constitutional way of government. I am prepared to give my life if necessary in defense of that Constitution. And that's exactly what we're going to do. So I want you to pay attention. A lot of brave soldiers have died to pay for this book so that you could have the right. And the least you could do for your own self's sake is to learn what's in this book and be able to argue effectively what's in this book. You would be amazed how many times you can win if you just have this book and know what's in it. Okay? Now, that we get that by, we're going to go into some other arguments here. We're going to try and show you how to really effectively use this book. Okay? Now that everybody's got that in hand. The next thing we're going to start teaching you is things like about the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment is one of the biggies that everybody talks about today and the one that gets railroaded probably the most. The next is the Fourth Amendment and the Fifth Amendment, okay? But the Second Amendment is one of the most vital amendments here because our forefathers had such an important understanding of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, that was the First Amendment, that they turned around and realized that without the right to protect that first right, they didn't have that right. So the Second Amendment, they, they instituted the right of the people to keep and carry arms and their right shall not be infringed. Now, they started out by saying a well-regulated militia being necessary for the maintenance of a free state. Okay? Isn't that a true statement, folks? A well-regulated militia is necessary for the security of a free state. That's just a true statement. So is oranges are orange. That's why they call them oranges. Okay? But that doesn't have any legal precedence in theory. The most important part about that Second Amendment is it says the right of the people. And the Supreme Court has ruled in hundreds of cases that whenever it says the right of the people, it means the right each of every single citizen to possess the right equally. Now, a lot of guys like to hand out this Manola that, well, that's a collective right. You've got to be a member of the militia. That's all who done. You don't have to be a member of the militia. All you have to do is be an American. You have the right. The right to keep and carry arms, and that right shall not be infringed. Now, you will note after infringed, there is no subparagraph A, B, C, D, E, F, G, which would stipulate as to what would be an acceptable infringement. So all infringement is forbidden. Now, who says so? You say so. Do you see that? Does everybody see that? You say so. Who are you? I'm an American. And I'm telling you, you're infringing my rights. You're stealing my rights. I, I, I claim infringement. I claim encroachment. I claim impingement. I claim usurpation. I claim you're stealing my right. Because that's what they're doing. And I ask them, what is it you don't understand about the word infringement? Because that's exactly what it says when you look in Black's Law Dictionary. That's another thing I want to bring up. You want to talk to these people in court. You want to get a hold of one of these books. Right here. It's called Black's Law Dictionary you would be absolutely amazed what's in Black's Law Dictionary. 
This is the exact words. <coughs> Just a second, please, folks. This is the exact words that you need to be able to definitively define the word game problem that we are having with these people today. They like to keep changing the words. But guess what? The words in this book are the words that were written when we were in the Constitution when it was signed. And the definitions that are in this book are enforceable in a court of law. You can bring this book into court and pull it open and say, this is the one, Judge, and they gots to listen. And that's the way it is. So for sure, if you're going to be in this, go down to one of your bookstores, uh, whichever you may have in your area, Barnes & Noble or any one of the dozens of decent bookstores, and get a copy of Black's Law Dictionary. You need that to be in this because this is kind of like... Uh, defining the map of how to get from A to B. You have to have this book to be able to pull it out so that you can turn around and tell them, hey, don't trample my rights. I take a real dim view of that. Another good book you can pick up on the Constitution is this, this American Constitution put out by West Publishing Company. This goes into a whole lot of widened arguments as to your constitution. Now, after I'm finished talking to you, you're going to have a new concept of constitution and how it works. You're going to understand that it's what you say it is. If you got an honest right, now I'll give you a perfect example. Now, the First Amendment basically talks about the right of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, right? But isn't the right to work part of right of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness? You've got a right to work, right? Contract your labor, your skill, and your time of life as you see fit, right? Does that make sense to you? That's a First Amendment right. Another First Amendment right would be the right to travel freely unencumbered. See, no state can require you to have a license to travel freely unencumbered, and we'll go into that and show you how that is, is taken care of. Okay? The bottom line is you need to learn as much as you absolutely possibly can in the shortest possible time about your Constitution, because I'm telling you right now as we speak, they are trying to curtail that Constitution and take away rights that you have that have been given to you from your forefathers. There's only one thing that's going to stop that. Well, maybe two. There's two things. The first thing that's going to stop that, if all of us get together, get a hold of one of these books and start shaking it and say, Whoa, R.C., we're not letting you take away that Constitution. This is America. we got an American flag on a pole out front. Last time I checked, this is the United States of America. we got a Constitution here, and you ain't touching that Constitution. So you call up that Bill McCollum in Washington and you tell him he's the guy that sponsored that 666 bill to take away the Fourth Amendment right to, uh, to have a search warrant. You get a hold of him and I'll give you his number later on in the speech here. And you call that joker up and you say, sir, what is it you don't understand about your oath of office? We'd kind of like you to leave the Constitution alone. Matter of fact, we'd like you to make it stronger than it is, not take nothing away from it, <clears throat> period. And we resent the hell out of you taking an oath of office to protect the Constitution and we put you in office, and the first thing you do when you get in there is try and scuttle the Constitution and flush it down the toilet. We're not going to put up with that stuff. We want you to understand that real clearly. The second way we can do it is if necessary and proper, our militias can come together and decide to tell these people that are giving aid and comfort to the enemies of our country by breaking down our laws that you have broken the law of Title 18, United States Code, Section 2381, which says that in the presence of two witnesses to the same overt act or in an open court of law, if you fail to timely move to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States and honor your oath of office, you are subject to the charge of capital felony treason, and upon conviction you will be taken by the posse to the nearest and busiest intersection and at high noon hung by the neck until dead. The body to remain in state until dusk as an example to anyone who take their oath of office lightly. You see, without that oath of office, this Constitution is worthless. 
That's why we have you take that oath of office, so that we know you will honor this oath of office and that you will keep our Constitution. We don't want anybody taking our Constitution away. And we're here to tell you right now, don't do it. We'll take a dim view of it. We probably will charge you. And we're not fooling around. Okay? Now, let's get into some other things in the Constitution. The bottom line here is you have to know to be able to exercise your Constitution. The most important parts about your Constitution are in your first ten amendments, okay? Obviously, the right of the people to keep and carry arms shall not be infringed. And that right shall not be infringed. You must claim your right if you want to have it. You have to be willing to do that. And if they are going to take your right, then you have to be willing to challenge them, whatever it costs. Now, the bottom line is any law that comes in conflict with that, what do we talk about in Article 6, Paragraph 2? If any law shall come in conflict with this, the supreme law, what happens? It's null and void of law. It bears no power to enforce, no obligation to obey, purports to settle as if it never existed, unconstitutionality dates from the enactment of such a law, not from any date so branded in open court of law. So what happened to the Brady Bill, folks? Canceled due to lag of interest, okay? What happened to the crime bill with the gun infringements? If any portion of the bill be unconstitutional, the whole bill is unconstitutional. Because why? Repugnancy, okay? It's repugnant to the United States Constitution. It's null and void of law. It bears no power to enforce, no obligation to obey. It purports to settle as it never existed. Which case said so? Marbury versus Madison, 5 U.S. 137, 1803. That's how important that case is. That's why you got to go down to your law library and read. Okay? So Marbury versus Madison is extremely important. It's important that you be able to read the case, understand what they're talking about. Now, other cases that are involved are your rights to due process, like under your Fourth and Fifth and Sixth Amendments, right? The right of the people to be secure in their houses. The right of the people to be secure in their person, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated, and no warrant shall issue, but upon probable cause, supported by oath or affirmation, and particularly describing the place to be searched and the person or things to be seized. And obviously that would imply, that would imply, that would imply that he'd gone before a judge and said, this is the guy, he did it, this is the crime that was done. And this is the evidence we're looking for, Judge, and we'd like to get a warrant, and we're swearing on everything we told you is the God's truth, and then they can come over and they can search till hell freezes over. Okay? Does that sound logical to you? No, that's what Bill 666 is trying to throw out. They don't want you to have that right anymore. Now it's important for you to immediately jump to the Ninth Amendment. What does the Ninth Amendment say? Enumeration in this Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. Now basically what that means in simplest of terms. Congress has no authority to add on to the Constitution in such a way that would take away rights previously guaranteed. What seems to be Mr. McCollum's problem? Does he not read the King's English? Simply spoken, he has no authority to pass this 666 bill. The Congress had no authority to pass this Brady bill. They had no authority to pass this crime bill because it clearly infringed on the United States Constitution. I don't care how noble the issue it was. I don't care how learned the people claimed to be. They weren't learned enough. Because if they were learned, they would have understood the Ninth Amendment forbids adding on to the Constitution by any laws whatsoever that takes away rights that are previously guaranteed. Excuse me. Now, 
Let's go on. Let's hit the Tenth Amendment. The powers not delegated to the United States. What, is there, what are they talking about here? The powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states respectfully or to the people. See, this is a limited contract. This contract is designed to limit government. And when you get into your police powers, you start understanding your police powers. Almost you'll hear this all the time. Well, we have police powers, broad and sweeping police powers. You look up Black's Law Dictionary of Police Powers. It says, the law of eminent domain of a state or political subdivision to enact laws for the common good and welfare and to curb crime. And in great big black letters, it says, within constitutional limitations. See the Tenth Amendment. Well, when they're talking about see the Tenth Amendment, this is the Tenth Amendment they're talking about. Now, do they have powers to take away previous rights guaranteed under the Constitution? The answer is obviously no, they don't. Obviously, the Ninth Amendment sets a clear limit on that. What is it these guys don't understand about their Constitution? They pass these Brady bills, they pass these crime bills, they pass these 666 bills to take away your Fourth Amendment right, requiring a search warrant. What is it that they don't understand about the locks on the Constitution? Now, do you see how wise our forefathers were? They knew. They knew history. And they knew that history repeats itself if people forget. So what they did is they set a standard, very importantly, toward the end of the contract that clearly stipulated exactly what limits would be there, you see. And it clearly stipulated that no powers existed to take away rights that were previously guaranteed. So how, therefore, is this being done? I'll tell you how it's being done. Cosey wants to. And they're not doing it by law. Now, why are they getting away with it? Because most of the people don't know any better. And if you don't know your rights and you don't timely assert them, latches and curse. Latches being a species of action where in a party of reasonable intelligence and integrity having a right to take an action as is prescribed by law and having failed to timely do so loses all right to proceed. So by you acquiescing, by not jumping up and saying, hey, hold the line, Chester. You ain't touching that Fourth Amendment. You aren't touching that Second Amendment. We're not putting up with that stuff. You took an oath of office, we're going to hold you to it. You violate that oath of office, we're going to charge you with capital felony treason under Title 18 United States Code Section 2381. What difference does it make if they're in open rebellion against the United States or if they're breaking down the laws creating a rebellion? Isn't that giving aid and comfort to the enemies of our country? It most certainly is. And it's called sedition. Treason by sedition. Okay? Now we got to start collaring these guys and telling them, hey... What is it you don't understand about the Constitution and your oath of office? We're going to clearly correct that in the short interim. And if you don't want to fix it, we will remove you. And that's our duty and our responsibility. Now, when Benjamin Franklin walked out of all of the hearings to set up this Constitution, a lady reporter walked up to him and asked him, What is it we have now? And he turned to her and told her, We have a republic if we can keep it. Obviously, the burden is on us to make sure we keep it. So I'm asking you to get a hold of one of these constitutions, and let's plan on keeping it. All right, now let's get into some more of the arguments on the Constitution. Your Fifth Amendment. Let's pull up your Fifth Amendment. No person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime unless on the presentment or indictment of a grand jury except in cases arising in the land or naval forces or in the militia when in actual service in time of war. 
or public danger, nor shall any person be subject to the same offense be twice put in jeopardy, that's the double jeopardy statute, of life or limb, nor shall be compelled in any crime, criminal case, to be a witness against himself, that's a self-incrimination defense, nor be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, that's your equal protection clause. You have an equal right to all of, the, all of your rights under the law, and you have a right to due process of law. As a matter of fact, if they don't give you due process of law, Title V, United States Code, Section 556D, is clear and specific, and it says if they deny you due process of the law, all jurisdiction ceases automatically. That's, that's Title V, United States Code, Section 556D, also 557, and Section 706 of that code. In other words, if they deny you due process at any time and you can prove it, you can, you can force a showdown and you can turn around and say, well, they might have had jurisdiction at one time, Judge, but they lost it when they denied me due process. All right? Now, the other parts are you cannot deny them life, liberty, property without due process of law, nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation. You know, how many times do you hear about that today? I mean, it's incredible. The Sixth Amendment is another important one. All of them are important, but there are more important ones, all right? In all criminal prosecutions, the accused shall enjoy the right to a speedy and public trial by an impartial jury of the state and district wherein the crime shall have been committed, which district shall have been previously ascertained by law, and to be informed of the nature and the cause of the action and accusation, to be confronted with the witnesses against him. That's the right to confront your accusers. To have compulsory process for obtaining witnesses in your favor. That's the subpoena rights. And to have the assistance of counsel for your defense, or you can stand as your own counsel. And I know they tell you that it's a fool that stands as his own counsel, but it's my argument that it's a fool that doesn't. Because I'll tell you why. You know your case better than you, better than anybody. How many times do you hear about gripes between attorneys and the citizens? The biggest gripe they have is, well, he never said nothing about that, or she never said nothing about that. Well, she didn't do this, or she didn't do that. Well, why? Because they don't know the case as good as you do. You're the one that knows your best case. The only thing they know is how to apply the law. So all I've been telling you is learn how to apply the law and your constitutional rights, and then you don't need to do that. The only time you get into trouble is if you run your mouth too much and you get into self-incrimination. So obviously you have to keep your wits about you and watch your mouth. But the bottom line is, actually, I personally believe you are the best person to present the facts of your case because you're the best person that knows all the facts. The only thing you know how to do is how to actually do it in a legal and lawful manner that is recognized by the legal community, and that's really not hard to learn. I can teach you, believe me. All right, the Seventh Amendment. In suits of the common law, where the value in controversy shall exceed $20, the right of trial by jury shall be preserved. It's supposed to say shall remain. And no fact tried by a jury shall be otherwise reexamined in any court of the United States, because the jury is the ultimate trier of fact. Then according to the rules of the common law. Mm -hmm. No, we'll get into that common law argument. There's a lot of heavy arguments around that common law. Basically, I don't want to overwhelm you on the first time out of the shoot. <clears throat> because that's not hard to do, okay? Now the bottom law, line of this Constitution is it's all in writing. It clearly represents a contract. I'm asking you to learn your contract. I'm asking you to learn the book. Learn your contract. I mean, when you go to some place to do some work on your car, you read the document that comes with it for the warranty, don't you? Why? Because just in case something goes wrong, you want to be able to bring it back, right? Well, I'm asking you to read the warranty on your Constitution so that you can understand the rights that you have under that Constitution. So that if you don't get it right, we can bring it back. 
Does that make sense to you? All right. Now, it's also important that you understand that this Constitution is a very unique document and that this Constitution is supposed to be enforced, and I'm going to teach you some things here right now. This is a program. I don't know how it's coming out here. This right here is representation. I know it's kind of hard to see here, but basically what we're talking about here is this comes from the books that tell the judge how, right here and over here, this comes and tells the judge how the Constitution is to be interpreted. This is from the Amjuris Prudence Volumes, and this is Volume 16. You want the Constitutional Law section, right here, Constitutional Law, and you want Section 97. And when you start reading it, the most important part about it, and I'll read it, is that a Constitution should, relieve, should receive a liberal interpretation in favor of the citizen is especially true with respect to those provisions which were designed to safeguard the liberty and security of the citizen in regard to both person and property. Can you see that? Can you all see that? Is that coming out right here? Over more. Okay. All right. To safeguard the liberty and security of the citizen in regard to both person and property. See Note 31, Briars vs. United States, 273 U.S. 28, and all of these 40 Supreme Court cases hold that axiom. In other words, it's supposed to be liberally enforced in favor of the citizen for the protection of rights and property. And a constitutional provision intended to confer a benefit should be liberally construed in favor of the clearly intended and expressly designated beneficiary. 32. But on 32, DeJammer versus Hospital Authority of Albany in all of these cases. Okay, you see that? All right, help me out here. Okay, is it in? All right. I'm just trying to tell you. You can go look this up, and you can better see it. Can you see it clearly now? Okay. All right. Now, let's do that over again. And a constitutional provision intended to confer a benefit should be liberally construed in favor of the clearly intended and expressly designated beneficiary. Similarly, a provision intended... Similarly, a provision intended... to afford a remedy to those who have just beneficial construction for the purpose of extending the within the meaning of the terms and that's Ryder versus of Ohio that's note number 33 okay now this comes out of 16th Am jurisprudence in other words I have this constitution this Constitution is a contract in writing enforceable in the court of law pursuant to the statute of frauds. I'm asking for specific performance, Your Honor, in favor of me. I am the beneficiary of the contract. There's also a basic premise in contract law, basic contract law 101 of any first-year law student that says, the contract shall be enforced most favorably in favor of the non-preparer. And that's you. You didn't prepare it. Now, if you believe, honestly, that you have a right, and you can timely bring that right before a proper adjudicated authority, and you can clearly stipulate as to what your right was, guess what? They got to listen. That's the way it is. That's the way it's supposed to be. And I'm telling you, if you know your rights and you timely assert those rights, you have those rights. But if you sit on your haunches and you cry foul, 
That's terrible. Somebody ought to do something about that. Hey, be a somebody. Do something about it. Don't sit there telling me that somebody ought to do something about that. Be a somebody. You do something about it. You honestly got an honest bitch, you go out there and you take care of it. Because that's what it takes to be an American. That's what, all, that's what it's all about. That's what being an American is all about. That's what separates you from the rest of the whole world. Because Americans, you don't trample on their rights because they're going to come get you. You do not trample on their rights. They won't put up with it. So be an American and don't put up with it. Stand up there and be counted. Now, I want to read the next argument there, which is argument number 98, which basically deals with the effect of an emergency. Argument 98. Does everybody see that there? Get it there? Pretty good. All right. Argument 98. While an emergency cannot create power and no emergency justifies the violation of any of the provisions of the United States Constitution or state constitutions, public emergencies such as economic depression, all right, Let's go over here to the next page. What happened here? All right. All right. Let's go. For especially liberal construction of constitutional powers, and it has been declared that because of national exigency, it is the policy of the courts in times of national peril so liberally to construe the special powers vested in the chief executive as to sustain and effectuate the purpose thereof, and to that end also more liberally to construe the constituted division and classification of the powers of the coordinate branches of the government, and insofar as may not be clearly inconsistent with the Constitution, right? In other words, they can't be in conflict with the Constitution to vest extraordinary powers in the chief executive. But I'm telling you, on the other hand, a contention that a grave emergency, such as the Depression, should permit construction of the constitutional provisions which would meet the emergency was rejected. In one case, the court holding that neither the legislature nor any executive or judicial officer may disregard the provisions of the Constitution in cases of an emergency where the plain and unequivocal terms of the Constitution present to question of construction as to departures in emergencies. So not even an emergency justifies the taking away of constitutional provisions. And I know you've heard differently. I know you think, well, they got an emergency. They just declare an emergency, and then they, the president issues an executive order. But let me ask you, if it's a repugnant Constitution of the United States, is it a law? No. Who says so? We do. We're the people. It's our country. It's our Constitution. We're the ones that say you can't do that. And we mean it. You better listen. All right, now, let's get into the next argument here. Now, I'm, I hope I'm not boring you to tears here, but it's kind of important that we cover these basic things so that you can understand. As to the construction ref with reference to the common law, an important canon of construction is that, that constitutions must be construed with reference to the common law. That means the law of the little people out there, not the corporations, okay? Since it, in most respects the federal and state constitutions did not repudiate but cherished the established common law, this fact has been taken into consideration by the courts in construing certain clauses in a state constitution, such as the provision securing the right to a jury trial. Also provisions in regard to crimes have been interpreted with reference to the common law rule that one that one charged with a crime may be convicted of a lesser offense necessarily included in the crime charged. In such cases, the courts of the state always regard the language in the common law sense. So the common law prevails. Don't let anybody tell you this admiralty law prevails, because it only prevails if you get sucked into it. We're not going to let you do that. We're going to teach you how to beat it. The common law also permitted destruction of the abatement of nuisances, 
by summary proceedings. Traffic tickets, folks. That's what a traffic ticket does. It is a writ of assistance, a bill of attainder. It's unlawful in the United States of America. And it was never supposed that a constitutional provision was intended to interfere with this established principle. And although there is no common law of the United States in the sense, who said so? Erie Railroad versus Tompkins. Okay? All right. Of a national customary law, as distinguished from the common law of England, adopted in the several states, in interpreting the federal constitution, recourse may still be had to the aid of the common law of England. It has been said that without reference to this common law, the language of the federal constitution could not be understood. So the common law applies, folks. And we're going to get into that common law heavily in the advanced section, all right? Okay. Now let's get back into this. In interpreting the federal constitution adopted by the several states, all right, the recourse may still be had to the aid of the common law of England. It has been said that without reference to the common law, the language of the United States Constitution would not be understood. This is due to the fact that this instrument and the plan of government of the United States were founded on the common law as established in England at the time of the Revolution. Okay, Therefore, it is the general rule that the phrases in the Bill of Rights taken from the common law must be construed in reference to the latter. Specifically, the United States Supreme Court has taken the common law into consideration in construing the Fourth Amendment, the Fifth Amendment provisions relating. All right? So the common law is extremely important that we get it, and we will cover that thoroughly. It's important to understand that most of you out there are citizens at the common law. That only, only those that understand the differences in admiralty and maritime law, those that are corporations, officers of corporations, or officers of government residing in the District of Columbia, the 14th Amendment duality of citizenship, which is talked about in the case of Erie Railroad versus Tompkins, which is a rather heavy argument. And I will cover that thoroughly with you so that you understand where the traps and the differences are. But for right now, I'm trying to demonstrate to you construction and programming so that you can understand that this Constitution right here is the supreme law of the land. It is a contract in writing. It is enforceable in favor of you in an open court of law. You are the beneficiary. Okay? I want to give you some basic more points on this AM jurisprudence argument. This is section 114 of the 16th volume of AM jurisprudence second. I'm going to give you a couple more of these sites so that you can understand how powerful a document this is. Okay? Let's go to the next section, which is 115, which is, or, uh, let's see, which one? 117. 117 is the next serious section. They're all serious. By the way, I highly recommend you go down to the law library, grab that 16th volume of jurisprudence, start at section 1, and start paging through to section 300. You will absolutely be astounded. We are now in 16th AM jurisprudence, second, section 117. And I will read it to you. Basically, various facts and circumstances extrinsic to the Constitution are often resorted to by the courts to aid them in determining its meaning. As previously noted, however, such extrinsic aids may not be resorted to where the provision in the question is clear and unambiguous. In such a case, the courts must apply the terms of the Constitution as written, and they are not at liberty to search for meanings beyond the instrument, which that militia argument and that collective law theory of the Second Amendment is. They're reaching 
are reaching far. All right? Clearly it says in the plain English, the right of the people to keep and carry arms shall not be infringed. Now, what is it you don't understand about the word infringed? They're infringing. The Brady Bill, it's infringement. 1968 Gun Control Act, it's infringing. All of these, uh, the CCW acts of these states, they're infringing. Who says so? You do. How shall a document be enforced in favor of who? You. When are you going to enforce it? You're the one that is the, the citizen. All power is inherent in the people. You're the one with the power. Enforce your power. All right? Does everybody understand that argument? That's the magnificence. I'm bringing the genie out. We're stroking the bottle here. And I'm going to bring the genie out here in a second. You're going to understand the magnificence of the power of this book. You see, once you understand this is an ironclad contract, once you understand that this is enforceable in the court of law pursuant to the statute of frauds, once you understand you have a right to claim specific performance on the contract, Your Honor, I'm demanding my right to keep and carry arms, and that right shall not be infringed. I want specific performance. I am the holder of the contract. It's supposed to be enforced in favor of me. I am the clearly intended and expressly designated beneficiary, the citizen. I want the thing protected in, in favor of my right. Does that make logical sense to you? Now do you start to understand the power of this document? Okay? See, before, you just thought it was a bunch of writing in some, uh, in some uh, textbook that you had to take when you took a civics class in high school in the 11th grade. See, I want you to understand that you don't leave home without this. This is more important than your credit card. Okay? Next, let's get into the next section. I'm going to cover some more of these AM jurisprudence sections so that you can understand. I want to get into uh, section 155. 16th Am Jurisprudence, 2nd Section 155. Since the Constitution is intended for the observance of the judiciary as well as other departments of government, and the judges are sworn to, pro- to support its provisions, got me, sworn, as an old law of a sworn, the courts are not at liberty to overlook or disregard its commands or countenance evasions thereof. It is their duty in authorized proceedings to give full effect to the existing Constitution and to obey all constitutional provisions irrespective of their opinion as to the wisdom or the desirability of such provisions and irrespective of the consequences. Thus it is said that the courts should be in our alert to enforce the provisions of the United States Constitution and guard against their infringement by legislative fiat or otherwise. In accordance with these basic principles, the rule is fixed that the duty in the proper case to declare a law unconstitutional cannot be declined and must be performed in accordance with the deliberate judgment of the tribunal before which the validity of the enactment is directly drawn into question. If the Constitution prescribes one rule and the statute another and a different rule, It is the duty of the courts to declare that the Constitution and not the statute governs in cases before them for judgment. Does everybody understand that? They're telling the judge, you got to rule in favor of the Constitution. And if you know your Constitution, whose favor are they going to rule in? Yours. But you have to have enough hair on your tail feather to walk in there and say, hey, I'm an American and I have a constitutional right. That right shall not be infringed, and you're infringing. And I'm asking you not to do that, because it's not nice. And I'm asking the judge to do his duty under his sworn oath of office, 
and uphold the United States Constitution as he swore he would under Article 11, Paragraph 1 in this state, which says that he shall swear to protect and defend the Constitution from all enemies, foreign and domestic, and he will perform his duties to the best of his ability, so help him God. Now, let's get closer to so help him God. Now, let's get into another one of these. we got a load of them, folks, so let's bear with me here. 16th Amjuris Prudence, 2nd Section 177. Declaratory judgments. Declaratory judgment actions have often been utilized to test the constitutionality of a statute and government practices. The Uniform Declaratory Judgments Act makes specific provisions of the determination of construction or validity of statutes and municipal ordinance by declaratory judgment and is considered to furnish a particularly appropriate method for the determination of controversies relative to the construction and validity of the statutes and of ordinances. The Federal Declaratory Judgment Act, although it does not mention declarations as to the construction or validity of the statutes, has been invoked frequently as a means of assaying the constitutionality of congressional legislation. A plaintiff can have a declaratory judgment action on the constitutionality of either the federal or state statute by a single federal judge so long as he does not ask to have the operation of the statute enjoined. You can't enjoin a constitutional right. A court may grant declaratory relief unless there is a case of controversy before the court. That is, the dispute must consist of specific adverse claims based upon present rather than future or speculative facts on which to base the adjudication. All right? I'm trying to tell you folks here, you have a right to demand a declaratory judgment, which we are going to do in several of our cases here. And they got to declare. Is it constitutional or isn't it constitutional? If it's constitutional, it has to be judged in favor of who? You, the citizen. Why? Because you're the, the beneficiary. It's supposed to be enforced in favor of you, the beneficiary, the citizen, for the protection of rights and property. See Briars v. United States, 273 U.S. 28. And the 40 Supreme Court cases that support that mandate. Okay? Now let's get, there's just a couple more here, bear with me. I know you're probably bored to tears right now, but I don't want you to do that. I want you to pay attention. Okay, we're at section 255. 16th Amjuris Prudence, section 255. In all instances where the court exercises its power to invalidate legislation on constitutional grounds, the conflict of the statute with the Constitution must be irreconcilable. The Brady Bill irreconcilable. Huh? In other words, the court is without authority to declare a statute unconstitutional unless it is in positive or direct conflict with the statute or with the Constitution. Thus, a statute is not to be declared unconstitutional unless so inconsistent with the Constitution they cannot be enforced without a violation thereof. Because that would be violating the Constitution. We can't have that. What happened in Marbury versus Madison? 5 U.S. 137. Same thing. A clear incompatibility between law and the Constitution must exist before the judiciary is justified in holding the law unconstitutional. This principle of, is, of course, in line with the rule that doubts as to constitutionality should be resolved in favor of the constitutionality and the beneficiary, you, the citizen for the protection of your rights and property. Okay? Does everybody pick up on that? Now, let's, let's shift to 256. 256. Right here. The general rule is that an unconstitutional statute, whether federal or state, though having the form and name of law, is in reality no law, but is wholly void and ineffective for any purpose. 
since unconstitutionality dates from the time of the enactment and not merely from the date of the decision so branding it. And wouldn't it be interesting if 34, 34, where's 34? There's 33, where's 34? Here, 34. There's 35, right here's 34. State X Rel versus Nguyen V. Greer. But I'll tell you what, Marbury versus Madison comes higher than that, okay? All right, 34. Let's cover that again. And ineffective for any purpose. Since the unconstitutionality dates from the time of the enactment and not merely from the date of the decision so branding it, an unconstitutional law in legal contemplation is as inoperative as if it never had been passed. The Brady Bill, the Crime Bill, the 1968 Gun Control Bill, all these bills. Such a statute leaves the question that it purports to settle just as it would be had the statute not ever been enacted. Let's go on. No repeal, no repeal of an enactment is necessary. Since an unconstitutional law is void, the general principles follows that it imposes no duties, confers no rights, creates no office, bestows no power or authority on anyone, affords no protection, and justifies no acts performed under it. A contract... Did everybody pick up on that keyword, contract? A contract which rests on an unconstitutional statute creates no obligation to be impaired by subsequent legislation. No one is bound to obey an unconstitutional law, and no courts are bound to enforce it. Persons convicted and fined under a statute subsequently held unconstitutional may recover the fines paid. A void act cannot be legally inconsistent with a valid one, and an unconstitutional law cannot operate to supersede an existing valid law. Indeed, insofar as a statute runs counter to the fundamental law of the land, the Constitution, it is superseded thereby. Since an unconstitutional statute cannot repeal or in any way affect an existing one, if a repealing statute is unconstitutional, the statute which it attempts to repeal remains in full force and effect. And where a... Well, what did I say there? Remains in full force and effect. Is the Second Amendment in full force and effect? You better believe it. Okay? Now, what is it they don't understand about infringe? Galaxy 25, Transponder 5, Frequency 11836 Vertical. You can listen to the American Voice 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Now, folks, the militia is organized because they have been concerned about our Constitution getting dumped in the, in the, in the can. Also, we want to show them this. These concurrent resolutions here expressing the sense of the Congress regarding the need for the President to seek the Senator's advice and consent to ratification of the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child. Okay. United Nations Consent on the Rights of the Child. Okay. John Conyers is in on this. He's one of our guys, too. Okay. Now, the bottom line is... They're setting standards, all right? And on these standards, we're 
whereas it is estimated that every night in the United States at least 100,000 children go to sleep homeless, whereas, I mean, they make all these allegations, wherein the United States has the world's largest gross national product, yet American children rank below the top 15 nations in regard to the health and well-being, whereas the 1989 infant mortality rate for the United States ranked 19th in the world, being Singapore or Spain. I mean, they make all these allegations about the United States and the national... Commission on Children has declared that every child in America needs an excellent education, yet approximately 40% of the nation's children are at risk of school failure. I mean, they go on and on. Whereas the United States, 2,600,000 children were reported to be abused and or neglected in 91. I mean, this is ridiculous. Whereas it's estimated that 1,800,000 teenagers were victims of violent crime. Whereas the Supreme Court has never fully articulated the range of rights to be accorded to children under the United States Constitution or fully articulated the manner in the Constitution is applicable to minors. It is. Whereas the positive futures of our families, communities, and nations are dependent. Now, they, they keep reading all these whereases. Whereas 29 others nations have signed convention indicating their intention to ratify the convention in the future. And then you get down. Whereas it is essential that the United States sign and ratify the Convention on Rights of the Child and begin implement of convention legal standards in order to improve and protect the lives of children. Believe me, they're not trying to protect the lives of children. They're trying to create a new federal bureaucracy. Whereas at the World Summit of Children in September such and such to sign the World Declaration of Survival, Protection, and Development of Children, which would include commitment to work and promote earliest possible ratification and implementation under the United Nations and Conventions of the Right of the Child. Whereas the House of Representatives passed a resolution during the 101st Congress urging the President to seek consent of the Senate to ratification of the Convention of the Rights of the Child. But such action having not occurred, it is necessary that the Congress implore the President to take action on the Convention now. And now they want to push it. All right? Now, you got to understand, folks, they're not doing this for the children, believe me. They're doing it because they want to create some new kind of problem. Children tomorrow, I apologize to you on behalf of those in my time for the things we didn't do. We didn't stop the tyrants so your fate could be prevented. We watched them steal our freedom, but our silence we consented. We didn't choose to circumvent the doom you've not escaped, while the Bill of Rights was murdered and the Constitution raped. Some of us were lazy and too busy, others too afraid, to think about our children, the ones we have betrayed. We say we were too busy to be concerned or care, to try to ease the burden of the chains we've made you wear. A debt of 17 trillion, more money than exists, because we fail to heed God's call of usury resists. We could have been good shepherds when the wolf got in the fold, yet watch the flame of freedom die, which leaves you in the cold. We changed our great republic, which was forged in blood for liberty, to a socialist welfare state, which we call democracy. I'm sorry we were so timid, betrayed by a selfish generation. We left yet a remnant of a free and prosperous nation. I'm sorry for our action like sheep we have behaved. We could have left you freedom. Instead, you are enslaved. Children of tomorrow, descendants of our land, I'm sorry we allowed this fate. You now must understand. Children of tomorrow, educate yourself if by reading the Bible of... The Bible to break the chains we left you with maintain. God's Ten Commandments, use reason, logic, and common sense. Suffer the little children to come to me, for such is the kingdom of God. Dennis Byron. This come off of the Amateur Radio Freeman's Bulletin Board, August, September 1992. End of transmission. So I think you can see here, at one time they pretend to do all this, and yet... <laughs> On the other, they do all that. 
So I thought this was very poignant uh, thing to put out on the air and try and hammer across, okay? Now we want to cover some other things. We want to cover the Brentwoods Agreement Act. Camera. We're trying to hustle up here. What do we got down there? Treason statutes, the 22 USC. We want to go for Terry Railroad versus Tompkins. That's the last thing I want to cover. United States. We got Marshall versus Kansas. We got uh, constitutional arguments. We got civil rights. We want to share so many arguments. Oh, yeah, we want to cover the 1 207. Remember, I told people about the 1 207. We want to cover about the 1-207. Remember I told you sign your name, 1-207 UCC, 1-207 without prejudice. This is it right here, folks. This is uh, the 1-207 Uniform Commercial Code. Can you get that? Okay. Got it? Mm -hmm. All right. This section provides machinery for the continuation of performance along the lines contemplated by the contract. What contract? The bankruptcy contract. Despite, that's in 1933, the pending, right, pending dispute by adopting the mercantile device of going ahead with delivery acceptable acceptance or payment without prejudice, under the protest, under reserve, with reservation of all our rights and the like. All of, those, all of these phrases completely reserve all rights within the meaning of this section. This section, therefore, contemplates that limited as well as general reservations and acceptance by a party may be made subject to satisfaction of our purchaser, subject to acceptance by our customer, or the like. This section does not add any new requirement of language of reservation where not already required by law, but merely provides a specific measure on which a party can rely as he makes or concurs in any interim adjustment in the course of performance. When they say performance, they're talking about contractual performance. It does not affect or impair the provisions of this act, such as those under which the buyers... Right? Remedies for defect survive acceptance without being expressly claimed. If notice of the defect is given within a reasonable time, nor does it disturb the policy of those cases which restrict the effect of a waiver of a defect to reasonable limits under the circumstances, even though no such reservation is expressed. Now, this is all what they're talking about when you write down without prejudice. They're telling you you have a right to reserve your right. So I'm telling you to use it. Don't screw around. Sufficiency of the reservation. Any expression. You see that? Any expression indicating an intention to preserve rights is sufficient such as without prejudice, under protest, under reservation, with reservation of all our rights, under duress is another one. The code states an explicit reservation must be made. Explicit. Undoubtedly is used in place of express. T 
to indicate that the reservation must not only be expressed, but it must also be clear under duress that such a reservation was intended in advance, right? The term explicit as used in UCC 1-207 means that which is so clearly stated or distinctly set forth that there is no doubt as to its meaning. Okay? Now that is the reservation I want you to claim. I want you to screw around. I want you to use your head for something other than a hat rack. Because I'm telling you, just do it. Just do it. Yeah, don't tell them nothing. You sign it and you walk out. When they ask you what that is, just say that's something I put down on my signature every time so I know it's me. You didn't learn all this stuff overnight, and you're not going to give somebody these classes overnight. Believe me. If you think you're going to teach somebody this stuff all night, you're dreaming. It takes a long time of serious study to get to the level of where you're at. And you're not going to deliver that to anybody overnight. So my sincere advice is don't try and do it because it ain't going to happen in your lifetime. Just sign it, do what you're supposed to do. If people want to listen, then you let them listen. If they don't want to listen, then you say, oh, well, I knew that. Okay? Now, let's go on here because i got a bunch of stuff to cover and we're running out of time. All right, what do we got here? All right, we want to cover the militia. There's a lot of people you're hearing talking about the militia. I want to get the Brenton Woods Agreement Act, too, if we can. Let me see here. I know we had it. Oh, Lord. This is the hard part, keeping track of everything. Okay. All right, we will find it. I promise you that. All right, what we want to do... We want to show off some of these things. Under executive order of the president, all persons required to deliver on or before May 1st, 1933. Try and blow that up. That's a good one. That's all your gold and silver. I want to make sure we get into all kind of arguments here real quick. Like. Should we have some gold and silver? By law? Should we have some? Yes, like yes. I think you should set aside some serious money to put in. I think people shouldn't have everything in gold and silver, no, though. I think you should have... I think you should buy toilet paper, and I think you should buy food, and I think you should buy cough medicine, and I think you should buy laundry soap, and I think you should buy, you know, have some stuff around like you would keep your normal business and put a little bit in gold and silver. I think you should have a pump shotgun in your closet to defend your house. Something, yeah, something to defend your house. Not that you may need it, but if you do, you got it. I think you ought to seriously consider. All right, we got the militia here. That's one of the next pieces we want to talk about. A militia. All right, let's do that. I'll bring that Bretman's Agreement Act in yet. But that's also serious. Oh, here we go. Here we go. That is good. Here we go. Now, here we go, folks. This is the Brentwoods Agreement Act. And this is the Agreement Act that, that created this problem with this Title 22, United States Code, Section 286. Okay. This is heavy duty, folks. So uh, remember, I showed you about treason. Okay. No person shall be entitled to receive any salary or other compensation from the United States for services as a government executive director, counselor, alternate, or, or associate, right? Congress, by law, authorizes such action. Neither the president nor any person or agency shall, on behalf of the United States, request or consent to any change in the quota of the United States under Article 3, Section 2, the Articles of Agreement of the Fund. The fund, the International Monetary Fund. All right, let's pull it up here. 
All right, they're talking about dollar under paragraph six. Okay, that's not what I want. I want. Let's see. Make any loan to the fund or bank. Approve the establishment of any additional trust fund for the special benefit of the single member or of a particular segment of membership of the fund. Now, all right, let's see. In order to carry out the purposes of the decisions of January 1962 of the executive directors of the International Monetary Fund, the Secretary of the Treasury is authorized to make loans not to exceed two, looks like billion, yep, outstanding at any one time to the fund. If it sounds like I'm hammering on that fund, it's because I am. Under Article 7, Section 1, subparagraph I of the Articles of Agreement of the Fund, I mean, they set this thing up. The Secretary of the Treasury, with the approval of the President, directly or through such agencies as he may designate, is authorized for the account of the fund established in this section to deal in gold and foreign exchange and such other instruments of credit and or securities as he may deem necessary to the consistent constituent. No, consistent and consistent with the United States obligations in the International Monetary Fund. The Secretary of the Treasury shall annually make a report on the operation of the fund to the President and to the Congress. That makes the Secretary of Treasury what? An officer of the fund. Okay. The Secretary of Treasury, yeah, he is guilty. The Secretary of Treasury is authorized to issue gold certificates in such form and in such denomination as he may determine against any gold held by the United States Treasury. The amount of gold certificates issued and or outstanding shall at no time exceed the value at the legal standard provided in Section 2 of Power Value Modification Act 31, United States Code 449, on the date of enactment of this amendment of the gold so held against gold certificates. They're in the gold certificates. All right. The amendment made by Sections 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7 of this Act shall become effective upon entry into the force of the amendments approved in the Resolution Number 31-4 of the Board of Governors of the Fund. Now, this is called the Brentwoods Agreement Act, folks. And this is what set up Title 22, United States Code, Section 286A, which says that these officers are paid out of the fund. They're not paid as United States employees. Capiche? Is there any doubt in your mind now who gets paid where? They don't. We don't pay them. They're paid by somebody else, the fund. Who is the fund? All of those rich guys that are sitting over in Europe that are trying to control our country. All right? Now, okay, let's move on here. we got things to do. I want to show you something else, too. Let's look at the very first book of title to, of the United States Codes Annotated. And I don't care which section you grab. Grab either uh, Lawyer's Edition or if you grab... Uh, I want you to take a particular note to this and pay close attention. I want this amplified if you can do it. I want it to read right here. The part where it says, This title has been enacted into positive law. Notice the little asterisk right here, folks. There's a little asterisk right here. Everybody see that? Can you see that? You see my pen? Move it till you see my pen point come in. You see my pen point? All right, all right. This title has been enacted in as positive law. Okay? Notice the little asterisk. When you come down here, and all these titles that got the little asterisks, they're all part of the law. Title 11 bankruptcy, Title 13 census, Title 14 Coast Guard, you know. Copyrights, you got crimes and criminal procedure, Title 18, right? Now, I want you to notice something as we come over to Title 26 here. Title 26 is the Internal Revenue Code. It's never been enacted into law. It's a regulation. Can you get it? Can you get it? 
Mm -hmm. See that? Look closely. Title 26 and Title 27. You see an asterisk there? You don't see one, do you? No, sir. <coughs> That's because there ain't one. <coughs> now, let's look at the other version. The other version is exactly the same. This is the one out of the official U.S. reports for titles. And this one says, can you get my pen? You tell me when. All right, sir. Okay. This title has been enacted as law. Look at all the titles that got an asterisk. You'll notice again, Title 26 and Title 27, Zippo. No asterisk. Everybody see that real clear? Pull it over. No asterisk. Obviously, it's never been enacted as law. How could it be? I'll tell you how. we got a case over here called Erie Railroad versus Tompkins, and I'm going to bring it to your attention. Erie Railroad versus Tompkins is a magnificent court case. Basically, what this court case did... This court case is recorded at volume 304, United States Reports, section, or page 64. This is the start of the case. That's 304, volume 304, United States Reports, section 604. Now, what this case does is it sets up a duality of citizenship. There are the citizens that live at the common law, and there are the citizens that live at the national law, or what is called Admiralty and Maritime Jurisdiction. Now, the way they get away with putting this Title 26 and this Title 27 out, the way they do it, is they create this Admiralty and Maritime Jurisdiction, and if you volunteer into it, you are in it. If you step in it, it's on you. Okay? So I'm telling you, don't do that. You know what the doctor says. Every time you go to the doctor, you say, Doc, every time I do this, it hurts. You know what the doctor tells you? He says, don't do that no more. You don't do that no more, it won't hurt, right? I'm telling you, the same thing applies to this. Don't volunteer. How do you volunteer? You enter and you watch what you sign, number one. Any evidences of contracts where you are in Admiralty or Maritime Jurisdiction says that you are a party to the contract. So you avoid that. When you sign that bank draft to get into that bank and that Section 9 form you fill out, guess what? Look at the bottom. You sign to get into an Admiralty Maritime Jurisdiction. What the hell would you want to do that for? It's illogical. <clears throat> when you signed up for that Social Security check. So, <clears throat> how are we going to remedy this situation? 1-207, without prejudice. You sign anything that has to do anything with those guys, take the rights that they'll give them to you. Take the benefits. But make sure when you sign it, you sign it UD 1-207 without prejudice. And that makes you a common law citizen. And when they pull you into these courts and they claim they have jurisdiction over you, you say, the first thing out of your mouth is, Your Honor, may it please the court, before this matter goes forward, I wish to state that I am here on a special appearance as distinguished from a general appearance, and I am answering in the form of a demure. A demure is an old way of pleading. It's an old-fashioned, old-country barrister English way of pleading without granting jurisdiction. In other words, I'll answer out of courtesy, and I'll give you an answer out of courtesy, but at no time am I granting jurisdiction that I put on my briefs. I state my name, I state the defendant, in propria persona, on a special appearance as distinguished from a general appearance for jurisdictional challenges. Now, I've raised the issue of jurisdictional challenges. I'm putting on the record. It's clearly cognizant. Once jurisdiction is raised, the burden is on the plaintiff to prove jurisdiction. Pursuant to uh, McNutt v. General Motors Acceptance Corporation, recorded at 56 Supreme Court 502. It says, jurisdiction may never be assumed, but must be substantively proven by the plaintiff claimant. They don't prove it in a timely fashion. Latches incurs. Latches is a species of action where a party of reasonable intelligence and integrity having a right to take an action as is prescribed by law, and having failed to timely do so, loses all right to proceed. So if they don't prove it timely, 
Motion to dismiss, Your Honor. Failure to state a cause of action for which relief can be granted, and I'd kind of like to collect my costs and fees for having to defend this frivolous case. Does that make sense to you? All right, now, let's get into this Erie Railroad case. This is a railroad case. What it's about is a guy was walking down the track, and a board was hanging off the end of the train and whacked him upside the head. He tried to sue in the state courts. The state courts uh, hammered him. So what happened was Erie Railroad had flipped around, and they tried to sue him in the federal courts to get back at him. And they thought they were pulling a fast one. And what happened was the case bounced back on them. And guess what? When it bounced back, it created a very, very dangerous thing. Now, before this, I want you to understand that for 100 years of law, this case was the one that, that was the leading case before this. And this was called McCulloch versus Maryland, the state of Maryland. This is a very leading case. This is the most heavy case. It comes in two sections. That's the tell you how thick it is. So you're going to be reading for a while. This case upheld for 100 plus years, practically almost 100 years. This case is recorded at... <clears throat> Uh, where are we at here? Where is the site? The site is, uh, uh, come on, give me a break. It's page 316. What is the volume? You guys are messing with me. You see a volume in there? Well, let's see what they call out here. They call up the beginning of the case. Well, we'll get you the volume. I should know it by heart, but I don't. Let's see if we can get it. It's an 1819 case. It is an old case. And it upheld for years the uh, single citizenship relationship. And it deals with the corporations. The power of establishing a corporation is not a distinct sovereign power or end of government, but only the means of carrying into effect other powers which are sovereign. Whenever it becomes an appropriate means of exercising any of the powers given by the Constitution to the government of the United Union, it may be exercised by that government. Now, basically, it sets up relationships. The Bank of the United States has constitutionally a right to establish its branches or other offices in dis discount and deposit within any state. Right? The state within which such branch may be established cannot, without violating the Constitution, tax that branch. All right? Now, it goes into some heavy arguments on taxes and some other arguments on, on, on programming, but I'm telling you here, this was the law of the land. I want to get a site on this uh, for a, uh, a reference. This book was so old when we got it from. It should say what volume it is, but it doesn't. Normally, they put it in the case, and then they'll cite it one time, and then they'll say everything after that supra. They stated it at the beginning. All right. Volume 4. Volume 4. No, oh, wait. That's not really a good... That's probably... You see, these reporters in the early... This was 1819, folks. That's when this case came down. So this was going to be... You know, shortly after the Constitution was signed. <laughs> 1791 is when the Constitution was signed, so it's going to be an early case. All right, William McCullough, defendant, blow in your branch. Normally they state the case one place and they state it. But anyway, to make a long story short, McCulloch versus Maryland is a very heavy case. It was the law of the land, and it was replaced by Erie Railroad versus Tompkins. There is no federal... Can you see that? There's no federal general common law. Congress has no power to declare substantive rules of common law applicable in a state, whether they be local in their nature or general, whether they be commercial law or in part of the law of torts. And no clause in the Constitution purports to confer such a power upon the federal courts, except in the matters governed by the federal Constitution or by acts of Congress. The law to be applied in any case 
is the law of the state. Got me? And whether the law of the state shall be declared by its legislature in a statute or by its highest court in a decision not a matter of federal concern. Now, in disapproving the doctrine of the Swift versus Tyson, the court does not hold unconstitutional Section 34 of the Federal Judiciary Act of 1789 or any other act of Congress. It mere Title 26, huh? it merely declares that by applying the doctrine of that case rights which are reserved by the Constitution to the several states have been invaded. Invaded. That's why they can get away with having Title 26 without having no asterisk. They don't have to have it in law. They're claiming it's an act of Congress. And if you voluntarily enter into it, guess what? You bought the whole farm. A federal court exercising jurisdiction over such a case on the ground of diversity of citizenship. What am I talking about? Diversity of citizenship. I'm talking about dual citizenship, right? Is not free to treat this question as one of so-called general law, but must apply the state law as declared by the highest state court. Swift versus Tennyson overruled. The liability of the railroad company for the injury caused by negligent operation of its train to its pedestrian on a much-used beaten path on its right-of-way interstate, right, along and near the rails depends in the absence of a federal or state statute upon the unwritten law of the state where the accident occurred. Now, what they're trying to do here is they're trying to justify the existence of this duality of citizenship between common law citizen which you are, most of you, and this natural national citizen, which would fall under Title 26 United States Code. But I'm telling you to look up Section 6331A of Title 26, and you will see that the Treasurer, the Secretary of Treasury has jurisdiction only over corporations, officers of corporations, and officers of government residing in the District of Columbia and artificial corporation, who are contractors of the fund. Capiche? All right. Now, this is an important case. If you guys are going to be in this seriously battling and want to argue jurisdiction, which is a very good defense on almost anything they can pull on you, you're going to have to read these cases. Erie Railroad versus Tompkins, recorded at 304. That's volume 304, U.S., page 64 is where it starts. It's vital that you understand these arguments. I just finished battling a United States attorney, and we were arguing, and he's talking about this is all gibberish. And I told him, I said, sir, I don't think you're well read on the law. All you got to do is read several of these cases, and they'll tell you. One, there is a duality of citizenship. Two, it has to be clearly defined. And three, I have defined it. And now I'm asking you to prove that I'm not a party. Or prove that I am a party. You tell me. It's your burden. You're the one making the complaint. You make the complaint, you get the burden of proof. Who says so? McNutt versus General Motors Acceptance Corporation, 56 Supreme Court, Section 5, or page 502. You made it, you prove it. Okay? You don't prove it timely, I motion to dismiss. Fair state of cause of action for which relief can be granted. And I will beat your little tail. So I would highly recommend you get to busy to prove it. Now, if you think the stuff don't work, let me tell you something here. Right here, right today, government came, told me, motion to dismiss, right? United States of America hereby moves pursuant to federal rules of criminal procedure for leave to dismiss the indictment in the case of support the statutes, okay? Now, they can't argue. They a certificate of service, order dismissing indictment, which the judge will sign. 
The government having moved to dismiss the indictment in the case of this court being fully advised in the premise that it is ordered in the indictment of B and the hereby is dismissed with prejudice and that the defendant's bond is canceled and is so ordered and adjudged. Wherefore, the United States requests that this court enter the attached order dismissing the indictment without prejudice, but we'll figure that out. We'll fix that up. See, I don't care if we go to court, because I know who's going to win. And I pray to God that he'll help me do that. So if they want to go to court, I tell them, make my day. When I'm in the court, the guy says to me, well, we could get you for an income tax evasion. And you might win one, but you won't win them all. I looked at him most calmly, and I said to him in the clearest and gracious language, I said, sir, I'm going to advise you to go look in them law books real carefully because I'm going to tell you straight arrow, I have had occasion to look in them law books. And I'm telling you, sir, if you bring that complaint against me, I'm going to tell you to make my day. Because I'm a pretty serious fellow, and I'm not going to fool with you. I'll sue your socks off and attach everything you own, bank business and home. So the best thing I can tell you is before you make a complaint, sir, I would highly recommend that you seriously consider the merits of your facts before you go writing a bunch of dribble. And when we got him today, he's talking about, well, your briefs are nothing but gibberish. So we asked him, he said, well, on our proposed order to have it dismissed, do you want us to put it down there for uh, good gibberish shown or just generally good cause shown? So he got a little red in the face and stormed out. But the bottom line is, if you know your facts and you got your stuff together, I'm telling you people out there in TV land, you can do this stuff. I, I, as God is my judge, I, I'm a truck driver. I'm a, I've been an engineer for a while. I've, uh, I'm a fisherman, a hunter, and a guide. Uh, I, I'm a regular person. I just read a lot, okay? I know people like to add stuff in the game, but I, I'm a regular citizen of the United States. I love my country and its constitution, and uh, I'm not fooling around. I want them to honor my constitution, and I don't think that's too much to ask. I think a lot of fine soldiers paid for it. Maybe we had a lot of patriots, some of the finest people I've ever known have paid for it. Uh, I especially uh, tout uh, Donald Costu, who was the uh, editor of the Constitutionalist newspaper and uh, the, the initiator and starter of the uh, Justice Prose movement in this area. Uh, he was a great man. He was a courageous man. Uh, he was found shot to death in his home with a bullet in his nose because obviously he stuck his nose in places it shouldn't have ought to been. He was a tireless defender of the people and the Constitution. Many a time we uh, cruised the countryside uh, doing meetings hither and yon. He wore a white cowboy hat, which we used to joke about. Good guys wear white hats. Uh, he was a, an exceptional personality. He lost everything he owned, fighting to the death. And uh, I... I uh, I especially offer my my serious prayers for his soul and for the soul of all patriots who have suffered tremendous things to uh, put on this Constitution and to keep us going. Uh, the people with the WWCR radio there, uh, God bless you. Uh, radio Free America, Tom Ballantyne, uh, Bill Cooper, uh, the infamous uh, Jack McLam from uh, Vampire Killer 2000. The, uh, there's uh, some serious, serious battlers out here, folks, uh, myself included. There's quite a few patriots all around. Uh, I can't tell you the names of the people that I feel absolutely privileged to know because the list would be so long here it would take another two hours just for the tape. But I can tell you some exceptional people 
and some of them are on bond and they can't be doing that so <laughs> so I, I'm respecting their you know some of the things the infamous Eugene May E.J. May there's just so many. The infamous No Tax Jim, James Gordon Lott. Uh, I mean, the names are endless. Um, so I'm telling you folks out here, there's a lot of good people out here that are pulling for you that have risked a whole lot, have gone to jail, have stood out in rain protesting. <laughs> uh, the infamous Dave Franklin, who is one of the most leading arguers on constitutional issues of admiralty and maritime jurisdiction. Uh, the outstanding uh, Art Morris, who published the book uh, uh, The Greatest Swindle Ever Told, which is about 4,000 pages of documentary evidence on income tax uh, situations. Uh, we're going to share you a couple of arguments in the end, and then we're going to kind of close it off here. Uh, until the next time. I, I want to thank you very much for inviting me into your home, and uh, hopefully we haven't bored you to tears, and at the same time you will have a new uh, love of your constitution and your country, and that you will... Uh, push like hell to make sure these people understand, hey, this is America, pal. Last time I checked, there's a flag on a pole out there, and it's an American flag. We don't want no blue flag out there. We want that American flag out there. And we got a constitution, and we're going to keep it. If you don't like it, move. Preferably someplace out of here, like Russia or other places. If you like that kind of government, go for it. Knock yourself out. That's what that's what free America is all about. you got a right to... Any idea you like is so you don't injure your neighbor. You got a right to free speech, but you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. Got me? Does that make sense? Okay. If you don't like it here, move. You want you don't want to exercise your constitutional rights? That's your prerogative, but if you get abused, don't say we didn't tell you. Because uh, God kind of wants us to do this thing, because this is, this is his holy land, and he's hoping that we're going to have enough hair on our tail feather to do it. Now, I want to get into a couple other arguments. One of the things I want to tell you about is procedure. If you're going to go to court and you're going to be your own attorney, by the way, this is the infamous no-tax Jim. He just died, God rest his soul. The infamous James Gordon Lott. I helped the gentleman do his appeal briefs to the U.S. Supreme Court, and I can tell you he was one hell of a gentleman. He can quote Tragedy and Hope, Quigley's Tragedy and Hope from, uh, from the hip, from memory. And he just passed away. Just recently he died. I want you to see how he died, too. Where is it? says, He was alone when he died, Monday, and no services planned, and they cremated his body. He fought to the end. To his last day, he was on the Mark Scott program. There's another exceptional patriot, Mark Scott. I, I can't speak highly enough for the courage it takes to come on the radio and tell God's truth. Uh, and there's a lot of people like him, Tommy McIntyre, uh, Mike Reagan. Uh, we could get you a list a mile long. There's patriots that come on and tell it like it is. J.P. McCarthy is another one that gets on there and tells it like it is. Uh, I remember this one casual time he got Gus Hall on, and J.P. said to Gus Hall, he says, Gus, don't you get tired of losing? Because Gus was running for president from the Communist Party ticket. And Gus turned to him and he said, J.P., what makes you think we're losing? He said, we've implemented every plank of the Communist Manifesto. We just haven't got the guns from the people yet. And J.P. turned to him and said, yeah, and you ain't going to get them from the people. What do you think of that? <laughs> well, folks, what do you think of that? They're working on it, aren't they? Huh? Now, you're going to go to court and you're going to be your own attorney. you got to be sharp. you got to keep records. You go to court, you write it down. You get anything in paperwork, you write it down. You send them anything in paperwork, you write it down. You got me? 
Don't be screwing around on me because I'm going to tell you some of these things got dates and times and things that you got to do. And if you don't take care of business, guess what? They ain't going to take care of it for you. You're your own attorney. If you want to, if you want to be your own attorney, you got to have records. You got to keep on top of things. So every time you do something, you write it down. And you make sure you can go back and say, yeah, I remember on such and such a date at such and such a time this happened and this happened and this happened. You can construct a chronological order of events, okay? <clears throat> now, also write down all important numbers to anybody that has anything that's got to be done. Okay, now, what we want to get into is we want to get into some serious arguments on uh, taxes. Okay? And also, we should tell you that if anybody violates your rights, okay, Title 42, United States Code, Section 1983. Everybody got this? Can you see it? Every person who, under color of statute, ordinance, or regulation, customer usage of any state or territory or the District of Columbia subjects or causes to be subjected any citizen of the United States or other person within the jurisdiction thereof to the deprivation of any rights, privileges, or immunities secured by the Constitution and the laws shall be liable to the party injured in an action at law, suit, inequity, or other proper proceeding for the redress. For the purpose of this section, any act of Congress applicable exclusively to the District of Columbia. Why do you think they said that? Because they're members of the fund. And they are, they are under Title 26, Section 6331A. Shall be considered to be a statute of the District of Columbia. Now, does everybody understand about Admiralty and Maritime Jurisdiction? I know you don't, but not. Not a little bit. They have created a duality of citizenship under the 14th Amendment. They're claiming there's common law rights, which everybody gets their constitution, and there's national rights where you waive all your constitution. Now, which did you want? Does that sound like a good deal? Sounds like you're being ripped to me. Here we got the 1-207. Remember, 1-207, right? All right, now. Okay. show Jack McClam's magnificent books too, Vampire Killer 2000 and the Aid and Abet Newsletter. We need to get these out to every police officer in the United States of America. They need to understand what the heck's going on here. You get a hold of Jack McClam and his people at Vampire Killer 2000 and they will be happy to put this book out. This explains to your police officers exactly what the heck's going on. And they have an Aid and Abet Newsletter that you can get. Let's get that out, Aid and Abet. Aiden Abet Police Newsletter, P.O. Box 8787, Phoenix, Arizona, 85066, right? And he has a phone number you can call him, too, I think. Now, they have these vampire killers out, and it tells the police everything they need to know. Also, they publish a newsletter, Aiden Abet Newsletter. You want to make sure. Aiden Abet, okay? And get that to your police officers. I have, what I like to do is when a police officer busts me for something, what I like to do is I like to enroll him in a free subscription. And you know what? He hands it out to everybody. Plus, I'm doing him a service. Now, if you folks don't think this is serious, I'm telling you right now, they're building these work camps, these multi-jurisdictional forces and these work camps all over. Notice that most of them are coordinated between Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, and Wisconsin. And then they got a bunch more out here in the uh, Wyoming, Idaho, Great West. the Great West, and they got them in California. 
Then they got these detention facilities. Everybody paying attention to these detention facilities? Notice where most of them are. And what they call them is regional prisons. Look at all the ones here in Michigan, Indiana, and Ohio, or Illinois. There's a bunch of new ones sometimes. Yeah, there is. I know, I know, I know there is. They prop up and they call themselves... Okay, and then they got battle groups, United Nations battle groups. I mean, we've had reports of Russian troops being in Michigan all summer. And we got positive sightings by people that are retired military colonels and above. And we know they were at Camp Grayling this summer. So I'm telling you folks, the time to wake up is now. Wake up, America, before it's too late. Before you lose your God-given rights to some foreign potentate. You might think that you uh, you look like a sucker. I mean, you want to buy any apples off that cart? I ain't buying no apples off that cart because I know they're all rotten. Okay. Now we want to get into militia. Um, the next thing we want to get into is the militia, right? And then we want to get into taxes seriously. And that'll be the close for today. Now, those of you who have been in militia groups and everybody's getting all panicky, let's understand a few things about the militia. Whether you like it or not, you are in the militia in the state of Michigan. And I will tell you right where it says that. Article 17, militia, right here. What does it say? And this is from the 1850 Constitution. All the way back in our state to the Northwest Territories they, Treaty, they have a militia. But this is an example of what they're talking about. The militia shall be composed of all able-bodied male citizens between the ages of 18 and 45 years, except such as are exempted by laws of the United States and of the state, but all such citizens of any religious denomination, whatever, who from scruples of conscience, all right? In other words, if you're a conscientious objector, may be adverse to bearing arms, shall be excused therefrom upon such conditions as shall be prescribed by law. And they have con conscientious objector statuses, okay? And you go to the 1908 Constitution, just to show you that this is the God's truth here. 1908 Michigan Constitution. The Michigan militia shall be composed of all able-bodied male citizens between the ages of 18 and 45 years of age, except such as are exempted by laws of the United States or of this state. But all such citizens of any religious denomination who, from scruples of conscience, may be adverse to bearing arms, shall be excused therefrom upon such conditions as shall be prescribed by law. Okay? Now, that's the 1908 Constitution. Now you come up here. Now this just lets you know the trend. The trend here. Now we're in the uh, 1963 Constitution, and in the 1963 Constitution, oh, I wanted to show you a little diverse thing here. This right here. Common law and statutes in continuance in Michigan. The common law and the statute laws now in force, not repugnant to this Constitution, shall remain in force until they expire by their own limitations or are changed, amended, or repealed. So the common law is prevailing. The militia, here we go. I knew we'd seen it. Now notice, folks, as the, as the, thing, as the thing goes on, it gets shorter and shorter. Here's your militia. This is Article 3, Section 4. The militia shall be organized, equipped, and disciplined as provided by law. That's all you get now. Now, when you look in the beginning of this Constitution, there is an there is a, a empowering statutory uh, phrase that says, all constitutions before, everything they had in them are carried forward to this Constitution. And that's how they're allowed to do this. 
So what would happen in this case, because they haven't clearly defined it here, they would have to go back in the law to the previous Constitution, which would be the 1908 Constitution, which we just read to you. Well, this one right here. So this one would be the militia shall be composed of all able-bodied male citizens, 18 to 45 years of age. So that would be the controlling one, because that's as prescribed by law, just like they said. Does everybody see that? Now, the bottom line here, folks, is a lot of people are all upset about the militia. All the militia is is concerned citizens that are worried about their constitution getting flushed down the toilet. We're not putting up with that stuff. We want people to understand that we love the Constitution, we love our country, and we're not screwing around. All right, here we go. Generally, the militia shall be organized, equipped, and disciplined as provided by law. Now, let's get into that. The single section is substituted for all of this relating to the militia in the present 1908 Constitution. Remember I told you about empowering? The existing article ties the legislature down to an outmoded concept of what the militia should be. Can you believe that? Where our forefathers would be rolling over in their grave. Details as to organizing equipment and disciplining the militia are left to the legislative enactment in the interest of the flexibility and future requirements. Ah, does that mean future requirements if it got nasty and down and dirty we would have our militia come back? Sounds good to me. I could go for that. The bottom line is the people that know what's going around are not screwing around. They join the militia. Okay. Alright, now, Article 10. Alright, here we go. Here we go. Article Article 9. Let's pull this out. The militia, organization, and discipline. The legislature shall provide by law for organizing and disciplining the militia in such manner as they shall deem expedient not incompatible with the Constitution and the laws of the United States. But they're not doing it, right? The legislature shall provide for efficient discipline of the officers, commission, and non-commission, and that musicians and or may provide by law for the organization and discipline of the volunteer companies. Volunteer companies. Notice that. Volunteer companies, huh? Officers of the militia shall be elected or appointed in such manner as the legislature shall from time to time direct and shall be commissioned by the governor. The governor shall have the power to call forth the militia to execute the laws of the state, to suppress insurrections and repel invasions. That's what our forefathers had in mind when they had a militia. Now, if they're going to invade us, they're going to change our money, they're going to shut down our Constitution. That's why the militia needs to be organized. That's why you need to be down there talking to a militia. That's why you need to be joining the militia. I don't care what church you go to. I don't care what color, national origin, ethnic background you come from. You need to be down to the militia, and you need to be talking to them folks about... This is the United States of America, and I will protect it and its constitutional form of government. And by doing that, if we do it in sufficient numbers, most probably what will happen is the New World Order scammers will realize, ah, the people woke up, ah, we screwed up. We'll have to wait another 300 years to try and pull it again. And let's hope that's what happens. If that isn't what happens, then the militia will defend the republic, because it's like what our forefathers intended. And we will defend the republic, as we always do, with vigor. And we will have a government by constitution. That American flag will be on that pole out there. And anybody that wants to try something different, hey, knock yourself out. But planning a very severe battle because we will never give up the United States of America, its constitutional government, or our American flag, or our American heritage. So this idea that you're going to wear us out, tie us down, otherwise skew us around is nothing but a lot of hoodung. It ain't going to happen in your lifetime. As a matter of fact, your lifetime may not be that long either. 
because we try traitors in this country. And the bottom line is the penalty for treason is death. And it's not our purpose to threaten or coerce or otherwise intimidate any person, but we want you to understand that this is the United States of America, this is a country governed by constitutional law, that that constitutional law prescribed penalties for criminal acts, and that those criminal acts can be punished by a lawful means. We're asking all persons that are involved in all walks of government or there any areas of the law to please, 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 let's get back to the Constitution and quit screwing around. Let's just get back to what's supposed to be done and quit screwing around. Pull back your Federalist Papers and let's start reading. You're going to find out. Everything that's in this book is directly applicable today. We need to do it over. We need to get back to a gold and silver standard. We need to get back to a serious means of trade expedience that's going to hold the standards of our country even. We won't have this inflation. We won't have this ridiculous market situation. We're asking you, please, before God, we're asking you. We want our Constitution. We want it back. We want all of the American principles that we stand for, that our brave soldiers died for. And we're asking you to please quit screwing around. Let's get down to brass tacks. You, you've been feeding the pablum to the babies too long. We, we're way, believe me, we're way ahead of you. You may not think so, but I'm here to tell you, we're way ahead of you. You're going to wake up someday and you're going to be shocked. We're going to be all standing out there smiling. Because you're going to be the one that's asleep, not us. We know what we're talking about. We're not fooling around. We want you to honor our Constitution. God bless America. We want you to keep us safe. We want, to, we want to be into the 21st century stronger than we were in the 17th century. We're not fooling around, so please. Now, we can go into this book, and this book clearly establishes they never wanted to have a militia or a standing army. They only trusted. You listen to some of these arguments in here. Okay. But it is said that the laws of the Union are to be the supreme law of the land. What inference can be drawn from this? Or what would you what would they amount to if they were not to be supreme? It is evident they would amount to nothing. A law by the very meaning of the term includes supremacy. It is the rule which those to whom it is prescribed are bound to observe. This results from every political association. If individuals enter into a state of society of laws of that society must be the supreme regulator of their conduct. If a number of political societies enter into a larger political society, the laws which the latter may enact pursuant to the powers entrusted, entrusted to it by its constitution must necessarily be supreme over those societies and the individuals of whom they are compro composed of. It would otherwise be a mere treaty dependent on good faith of the parties and not a government which is only another word for a political power and supremacy. But it will not follow from this doctrine that acts of larger society which are not pursuant to its constitutional powers but which are invasions of the residuary authorizes of the smaller societies will become the supreme law of the land. These will be merely acts of usurpation, which is kind of what's going on, and will deserve to be treated as such. Hence we perceive that the clause which declares the supremacy of the laws of the Union, like the one we, we have just before considered, only declares a truth which flows immediately and necessarily from the institution of the federal government. It will not, I presume, have escaped observation that it expressly confines the supremacy to laws made pursuant to the Constitution, which I mention merely as an instance of caution in the Convention, since the limitation would have been to be understood through, though it had not been expressed. 
Though a law, therefore, for laying a tax for a use of the United States would be supreme in its nature and could not legally be opposed or controlled, yet a law for abrogating and preventing the collection of a tax laid by the authority of the state, unless upon imports and exports, would not be the supreme law of the land, but an usurpation of power not granted by the Constitution, as far as an improper accumulation of taxes on the same object might tend to render the collection difficult or precarious. This would be a mutual inconvenience, not arising from the superior or defect of the power. Now we want to get into some serious arguments here. We want to go to page 108. About the middle of the page. Except as to the rule of apportionment, the United States have indefinite discretion to make requisitions for men and money. That means they can ask. But they have no authority to raise either by regulations extending to the individual citizens of America. That's why we don't have a Title 26 that applies to you. The consequences of this is that, though in theory their resolution concerning those objects are laws constitutionally binding on the members of the Union, yet in practice they are mere recommendations which the states observe or disregard at their option. This is the intent of the framers. Cohen versus Virginia, 6-2-1821, says this is the exact intent. Is it pretty hard for you to understand what their intent was? They never intended to have an internal revenue. Ever. They hated people that operated like that, that operated a tyranny against the people. All right, let's get on with this. Wise politicians will be cautious about fettering the government with restrictions that cannot be observed because they know that every breach of the fundamental laws, though dictated by necessity, impairs that sacred reverence, which ought to be maintained in the breast of rulers towards the constitution of a country, and forms a precedent for other breaches where the same plea of necessity does not exist at all, or is less urgent and palpable, Publius. And it teaches us, in addition to the rest, how unequal, parchment provisions are to struggle with public necessity. You know, I mean, you start reading. You gotta read. Don't sit there like a bump on a log. Read. Get all kind of good stuff going here. I could, I could sit here and read this to you all night. Time is money and knowledge is power. That's why you need the Basic Research Library CD from the American Voice Now. This CD contains the Federalist Papers, which are the definitive writings illustrating the intent of the Constitution, and the Anti-Federalist Papers, which read like a crystal ball to everything gone wrong concerning the present-day Constitution. This CD also contains Bovier's Law Dictionary and the Uniform Commercial Code, plus the inaugural speeches of the U.S. Presidents, the U.N. Charter, NAFTA, Hitler's Mein Kampf, the full Communist Manifesto, the Patriot Act 1 and 2, the model anti-bioterrorism law, the Homeland Security Bill, the FBI's Project Medigo, and too much more to mention here. The CD contains over a thousand files. To order your CD, go to www.theamericanvoice.com or call us at 541-826-9050. That's 541-826-9050 for ordering information. Voice Radio Network on free-to-air KU satellite at Galaxy 25, Transponder 5, frequency 11836 vertical. You can listen to the American Voice 24 hours a day, 7 days a week.
The fruits are grown in chaos, distrust, and economic depression. A weary populace can seek peace only from the solutions they offer. They have worked until suicide has become so common that it generally calls forth no legitimate investigation. They have used the courts, the judges, the medical profession, and even the Constitution to further their ends. America now has over one million of its citizens in prison for political crimes. So who are they? And how long have they been at this? Psychopolitical Warfare is a 70-page color cover booklet that describes the strategy and tactics behind psychopolitics. Psychopolitics is only $10 from The American Voice. Go to www.theamericanvoice.com or call 541-826-9050. That's 541-826-9050 for ordering information. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. and you're listening to Financial Survival. Today, my co-host, Alfred Adisk, will be joined with James Corbett of the Corbett Report, and uh, they will be here joining you for the second and third segments of the program because it is Thursday, August 20th, 2015. Once again, thank you for joining me this afternoon. What an active day it has been in the markets. We had oil falling to a new six and a half year low this morning, although it did rally up in the afternoon. Uh, the paper markets were hit pretty hard today, and we had a nice day in gold. So let's get started right away. We had uh, spot gold basically has recovered almost more than 7% uh, since late July, hit a low of 1,077. And, uh, you know, everybody thought, well, that was the end of gold, and all of a sudden you saw all 
all these reports. More and more gold was going to 700, but we have had a nice turnaround, 7%. Gold today was up 1670, 1670 in the uh, New York spot price after market trading at 1151.80. Silver is up 18 cents at 15.59. Platinum is up 6 at 1,034. Palladium was up nine at 627. USDX today was lower, 0.46 at 95.96. Crude oil, as I mentioned, uh, did rally a little bit by a whole of 34 points at 40.94, 40.94. And the paper markets today. Um, I actually heard that the Dow was uh, 360-something points. Uh, I'm looking at my market. Maybe some of these uh, late ticks are coming through. Uh, it should be done by four, but, you know, it doesn't matter to the markets anymore. They'll just let them come through no matter what. But the Dow, 357 points at 16,000, broke through 17, 16,990. I had an email this morning from a client and a, and a friend of Discount Gold and Silver and uh, uh, for a very long time, almost since day one, I guess, and he emailed me and he says, you think the Dow will break 17? I said, perhaps, and here we are. He did a good call today, 357 to the downside, 16,990. The NASDAQ was down 141 points at 48.77. The S&P is down 43 at 2,035. The 10-year yield, of course, that is lower, 2.08%. Euro, of course, was stronger, 0.67 at 112. And uh, Germany was down uh, about two and a third percent. Uh, Asian markets were down, but uh, we did have um, uh, China concerns. Um, they were, again, perhaps part of the catalyst for the losses today. The Shanghai Composite Index dropped about 3.4% on uh, lots of selling of energy and property companies. And, um, you know, those shares certainly have had a wild ride. Our shares are certainly having a wild ride. Uh, but in China, you know, the, you know, the government uh, is having a difficult uh, time stabilizing their markets. And, uh, uh much like over here, we have a Federal Reserve and a government who, uh, you know, create uh, programs and uh, allow certain uh, corporate individuals to have influence uh, on the markets so they can rig the markets. We have huge hedge funds that can go in there and rig these markets, and uh, there is nothing free and uh, stable about any of these markets. And uh, so... You, <laughs> You know, my warning to you folks is, uh, you know, and I hear it already, uh, you know, maybe gold's getting too high to buy. Maybe I should wait. And it just amazes me when people, people have to listen to what you're really saying. I mean, we have predictions from folks out there, economists. Um, not just analysts, people who write newsletters, but economists, world-known world economists, where they talk where gold can go to 5,000, 3,000, 5,000. And uh, this level is hardly anything at all. So don't say, and what else are you going to do? Well, let's just hold those paper dollars because, you know, gold is too highly priced at this level. Can you really hear what you're saying? You know, stay in paper because gold is too Price too high. 
I got some comparisons here and some $20 gold and a $10 Indian, my favorite coin. But let's continue on with the, some of this news today. You know, you're going to hear a lot of mainstream media report that, uh, you know, the reason the market is down today is due to the Fed speak from the July meeting that was released yesterday. And uh, But we already knew they were not going to raise rates. If you listen to Christine Lagarde from the IMF, she suggested that Janet Yellen wait, just as she suggested China shouldn't enter into the currency basket until next year. These two items will probably occur at the same time, which really does kind of make sense. You know, because everybody talks about that if you add China in there, it's going to weaken our currency. And if you raise our rates, it might show our currency a little uh, strength. So, you know, it's kind of balancing the action in the dollar. So not sure that's what their main, you know, goal is, but uh, it sort of makes a little bit of sense. But uh, certainly um, China, Beijing is in there trying to stabilize, but we also have other countries uh, that are having difficulties. You have Brazil, you have Russia, they're struggling to revive their economies. Their currencies are depreciating dramatically against the dollar. Uh, Brazil's currency value has declined over 20%. We all know Russia's uh, currency has fallen about 40%, and, you know, this kills their imports and uh, it kills their citizens. Um, it's also a problem for um, Americans' uh, biggest, some of your biggest international companies. Uh, about 44% of the revenues from the S&P 500 companies come from outside the U.S. So, uh, you know, you, it is, we are globally connected. We truly are in a global, I mean, you know, when we talk about the new world order, you know, folks, financially, for the markets, the financial markets, it's already done. And, and I do believe the final phase of it is to collapse it altogether. And I can remember talking about this 20 years ago. You know, they need to bring everyone to the even keel. And what do they do? They suck up all your money, all your paper money, all your investments, all your savings. They put it into the stock market where they can control it and all your little IRAs, retirement accounts, and so forth. And uh, not here, but around the world. And one day you're going to wake up and a lot of it is going to be gone. And the good old government will come in and we're here to help. Let's get you this little annuity. Eh, Social Security is broke. So we've come up with a new plan. And uh, this is how it's going to work for you. And again, most people will stand there with their hands out because it's been very stressful to see their, their, their finances disappear in front of their eyes. And yet so many people know what's going on. People understand that there's something going on. They get it, but they fail to do something about it. And this is, uh, you know, it, it, you must get your food, your water, your protection, and get your savings. Get your savings protected with gold and silver. Don't ever forget that should be your number one consideration, your number one objective when you're buying gold and silver. It's protecting your purchasing power. Stick to the fundamentals because everything else will work for you. There's an interesting report. Uh, maybe we'll save it tomorrow. It's kind of, uh, oh, it's about some... Uh, treasures that were found in Poland. I'll save that for tomorrow. Um, Cyprus today, he resigned. The Prime Minister uh, uh, Cyprus resigned. 
Um, and remember, he was there. He was elected to fight the elite, to fight the bankers for the citizens of Greece. And uh, he was unable to do so. Faced with a near collapse of the Greek financial system, um, Cyprus was forced, now the key word here is forced, to accept the creditors' demands for yet more austerity and economic reform. And these were the very policies that he has promised to scrap when he was elected in January. And I think this is just a, you know, it's just an example of where the power really lies. Uh, it's an example of our politicians and truly the puppets that they really are. And we can even take a look at, hey, what if Trump actually does become president? We might compare him to the former prime minister of Greece, Cyprus, wanting Trump, wanting to make America great again, but having to find out he's only the puppet and that he will be forced to do their bidding. And, um, you know, I, 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 I try not to think that's the case. I still like to think that we do have hope. And I still like to think that, uh, you know, maybe there's enough in Washington to, you know, be able to take over the, you know, the, the control and not allow that to happen. But, you know, hey, if you, if you look and you see, you realize that uh, uh, they truly are the puppets and they're all manipulated and they all work for the better good of themselves. But uh, so we'll just have to see. Uh, and it not even makes you wonder about Cyprus. Was, you know, was he really a thorn in their side? Or was he someone that they needed in order to position or, or to, to, to allow whatever happened in this bidding to to the, their their regret their their debt. I mean, did he bring something to the table that they needed, in which they allowed him to be there as long as he he was? Uh, but he might not be out of the race yet. You know, he can come back with a stronger party, and uh, you know, maybe with a little bit more fight in him. But uh, so I guess they're going to have new elections. Uh, I don't know, sometime later in September. We'll see how soon they can bring it on. I don't know if there's any timelines uh, uh, for elections, but I, I think this is, uh, has been a fairly quick one uh, for a prime minister of Greece. You know, we, we, we talk all the times. We hear reports of various problems that face this country. Hardly a day passes and a, a situation arises that, you know, doesn't threaten not only our economy but the world economies. And, and we see all these signs, signs, everywhere a sign of the problems that we face, of the dropping stock markets. We understand that since the, the Great Recession of 2008, the only thing that has kept you know, the stock market's high, the, the, our economy going is quantitative easing, is uh, help, help from the Federal Reserve and uh, our governments, and uh, it, it's about to wear out. But I'm just going to go over a quick list, and I do want to get on with my comparisons, and this time goes by so quick. We have more working-age people than ever. 
before are not working. More young workers than ever before are still living with their parents. More people than ever are on government assistance. Welfare pays more than most jobs. Retirement savings, they've been cashed out and are being used for living expenses. Wages have not kept up with inflation. And uh, if you believe those phony inflation numbers by the Fed, you have default rate of companies with the lowest credit rating at its highest level since 2013. The auto loan debt bubble is at $900 billion that's fueled by easy credit and long-term loans. You know, you even have more than 60 months of loans on used cars. You know, people, you know, it takes, you know, four years for them to uh, uh, no longer be upside down. You have U.S. mortgage holders are carrying the most non-mortgage debt they had in more than 10 years. 81% of that is automotive automobile debt. Student loan debt held by mortgage holders is the highest it's ever been, with the average balance owed at nearly 35000 And almost 6 million homeowners remain underwater on their mortgages. Inflation in housing and consumer goods do exceed the inflation goal of the Fed of 2%. You have, again, the stock market that was driven by the QE bubble and the Federal Reserve purchasing. You have world banks are ready to take your money. And, and I think everybody forgets that. And I think a lot of people, it's not going to happen here in the United States. But we've seen it happen in other places. We see what happens to these countries uh, when they go through these devaluations of currencies. And, and everybody ignores the signs. Everyone. I hope not. Our listeners, I hope you're not ignoring the signs. And sooner or later, you're going to have paper money. These economies will always crash in the end. And you have their currencies that end up worthless. And the picture is so much bigger. It's just not here in the States. It's in, almost, it's in every country around the world. I mean, and to me, this, and after the collapse, it only can equal one thing, and that's war. One of them sooner or later, you know, one of these countries is saying, you know what? I'm a little ticked out. I'm a little ticked off. Somebody destroyed my country. And uh, they can get a little crazy about that. But there's only one conclusion you can come to. And how can anyone survive this global financial calamity that is about to be unleashed upon us? As I mentioned before, you need your food, water, protection, and gold and silver. Let's do a, compares, a comparison. I went back to um, January of this year. I've been saying I started these comparisons back in uh, June or July. And since January 1, with today's uh, spot, uh, when I did the comparison with the $20 gold pieces, uh, gold was at 11.43. It did rise a little bit after that, but I'm basing my $20 gold prices on that spot price of 11.43 because you know I don't want to distort anything. So gold is down $47 since the first of the year. If I did the comparison with the 24 Min State 64 $20 gold pieces, that's the Min State 64 $20 gold pieces, the St. Gaudens, they are higher today by $90, by $90 on a $47 drop in gold. But what really is smoking are my favorite 
to six mint state sixty two ten dollar Indian gold pieces. Spot gold down forty seven. Mint state sixty two ten dollar Indian gold pieces. They're up a hundred and ten dollars. Now it takes two of those coins to equal a twenty dollar gold piece. So you could say in the same comparison, they're actually up two hundred and twenty dollars. So a tremendous performance on the pressures that we've seen in gold since the first of the year, since last month. And uh, so it's a terrific time to be picking up some of these coins, folks. Give us a call at one eight hundred three seven five four one eight eight. That's one eight hundred three seven five four one eight eight. Make sure you visit our website at DGSCoins. Dot com, dgscoins.com, and yes, I am out of time, and Alfred will be joining James here right after the break. the aspirin mistake. Aspirin was discovered by mistake during World War II and suppresses your immune system and prevents blood clotting. Don't expose your body to risk when you can use a natural inflammation and pain reliever called Extra Strength Pain Relief by Apothecary Herbs. Discover the power this formula has with salicin to enter the system in 60 seconds to work hard and relieve pain for 12 hours. Whether it's arthritis, sports injury, or flu, you can relieve aches, pain, and swelling with our Extra Strength Pain Relief Formula. Call Apothecary Herbs now, toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3 wsthepowerherbscom Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. Are you concerned about prescription drug dependency to stay healthy? Are you worried that the cost and availability of your medications may put your health at risk? Perhaps it's time you consider a natural, safe, and effective way to deal with your health problems. If only you knew where to start. Start right here. Tune in to Herb Talk Live with herbalist Wendy Wilson every Tuesday and Thursday evening, 7 p.m. on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, where your health care options just became endless. Hey! 
folks, I'm Alfred Adisk, and this is Financial Survival, brought to you by Discount Gold and Silver at 1-800-375-4188. Our guest tonight is James Corbett from the Corbett Report, C-O-R-B-E-T-T, report.com. James has been living and working in Japan since 2004. He started the Corbett Report in 2007 as an outlet for independent critical analysis of politics, society, history, and economics. He's also editorial writer to the International Forecaster, weekly e-newsletter created by uh, oh, John, Bob Chapman. He used to do this program. He did this. He was here before I was. Um, oh, James, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. How's the connection today? Well, it's better than it was last week. It turns out <laughs> that I don't talk that well when I'm in my sleep. Uh, and that's what interfered with the connection last week. I lay down, take a nap, and I thought I'd set the alarm clock. And uh, next thing I knew, it was an hour and a half after the show had finished. You know, when I woke up, sorry to keep you up. Uh, well, it's normally not a problem. I normally stay up. It's it's not a problem. But once in a while, I once in a while, I guess you need the sleep. You got to have it. I want to ask you what what do you think has come? We we're getting reports from spiritual sources and political sources and financial sources and even UFO gurus. They all seem to agree that something big will happen in the second half of September or perhaps later in October. Do you think something big is really coming or are we looking at another non-event sort of like Y2K? And, oh, my God, the world is going to come to an end in the year 2000, and all the computers are going to fold up and die. What are we coming on right now? Big event or non-event? Well, it's not just Y2K. I mean, let's look at back at just a few of the crazes that have uh, passed by in recent years. I mean, of course, there was the 2012 hoopla that we saw come and go. Uh, we've just recently seen the Jade Helm hoopla. Of course, it's all coming down martial law this July. It's all going to happen. Uh, we've seen people throwing their hands in the air over Harold Camping and his crazy predictions. We've seen I mean, I, I literally have lost count of how many of these types of predictions I've seen. It's all coming down this whatever, September, this, this January, this February, whatever. I've seen dozens of these predictions, not a single one of which has ever come true, but people yeah. continue to hype them up every single time. And I think the, uh, the one that's making the rounds right now regarding this September slash October, they're, they're even smearing this prediction out. So if nothing happens on September 21st, as some people are saying, or September 15th, as other people are saying, at least they can say, oh, well, it some happened sometime in that two-month window. 23rd. September right. 23rd is the big day. Anyway, I don't know. Right. But, but uh, uh, look, there are, there are, uh, on the list that's going around right now of all these things we should be watching out for, there are some that I think really are important and that really could signal some sort of event. And then there are others that I think are just silly. Um, so, for example, you have some politician making some statement about some 500, we have 500 days to avoid climate chaos. When have yeah. we ever listened to garbage like that? Of course, they've uh -huh. said this multiple times. Oh, you know, it, we have to have a deal this year or we will, you know, the, the climate will be forever ruined. And every, I mean, that's just political blowhard nonsense. Why would we ever listen to that? But people are putting you know, a lot of stock in it. listen, and there's the problem. It's not so that much a matter problem. that the blowhard gets it out there and makes these statements. The problem is that the audience doesn't just laugh him off the stage. They actually believe this. If you get enough credibility, people believe almost anything you have to say. 
And there's a problem. People are very gullible. You know, and that's not, you know, we don't do much analytical thinking, and so we are but inclined but to go. My point here is that it's not just like the, the, the regular people you would expect to listen to that kind of nonsense, because there are, of course, people who are true believers in the climate change nonsense. But this is coming from the alternative crowd who supposedly are above that, but but this time it plays into this September time frame, so they'll use it. They'll just throw it in there as just another sign. So I, I don't want to dismiss this completely, because as I say, there are important things that are coming up that could really be game-changing types of events. But I think when people start trying to compile lists they're just going to look for anything that confirms their bias and oh just another sign it's going to be this it's September. not just a confirmation of bias it's a confirmation of why you need to buy my book yeah September it's all going to blow up in September buy my book before um, before it yeah. all blows up but yeah. I mean let, uh, let's think about up, then, then I'll have another book but let's look at some of the things that are coming up that are important and I think one of them is that the uh, the September uh, Federal Open Market Committee meeting, where supposedly the uh, the majority of analysts are now predicting the Fed will probably raise rates. And that could be a very huge thing in the markets. that could have very big knock-on effects. So, I mean, there are things that are happening. Uh, that, yeah, I uh, understand. That... And there is a kind of gut feeling and intuition in a lot of people that are saying, we're sitting on the edge of it. And I don't know what it is, but we are sitting on the edge of it. And it seems that a lot of people share that intuition, gut feeling, paranoia, whatever label you want to put on it, but there's a lot of people. And now will we get self-fulfilling prophecy or will we just hmm, wake up in the morning just as we did on January 1st after New Year's Eve and find out the world is still alive and well? You mentioned the raising the interest rates. I've got an article here from AFP, and the headline is, Iceland raises key rate by half point to 5.5%. Iceland's central bank on Wednesday raised key, its key interest rate by half a point to 5.5%, citing the risk of inflation following collective wage hikes, and there's more to the article. I don't, you know, I'm getting old and I forget things, but isn't Iceland the little country who declared bankruptcy just a couple of years ago? If so, how is it, how can it be that its economy is so strong that it can support a 5.5% interest rate? Well, Janet Yellen and the Federal Reserve is scared to death to raise our near zero interest rate by a quarter of a percent. How is it that little Iceland can raise by half a percent to 5.5% and we're scared to death? Oh my God, the economy is going to collapse if we raise another half, a quarter of a percent here in the United States, and it might go up to a maximum of one half percent. Does that make any sense to you? Um, it does, but I think we shouldn't be so quick to directly compare economies that are vastly different with different political situations as well. I mean, certainly the turnaround of Iceland generally from its position uh, in the depths of the, the crisis a few years ago to, to where they are today shows that clearly they did something right by prosecuting banksters and uh, and going the opposite direction. But I think this particular rate hike um, is is more to do with the the wage uh, collective wage hike that they mentioned there in that article that's just recently taken uh, taken hold and I don't know what the ultimate um, 
what the ultimate decision was on that, but I know that the uh, the, the unions in in uh, in Iceland were demanding a fifty percent pay rise. So, I mean, this is not regular. This is not a sign of strength of the uh, the economy so much as it is. There's going to be a lot of um, liquidity sloshing around that they want to soak up. So, um, I, I I don't think it's a directly comparable situation. I agree. I, it's not apples and oranges, but still, there's something here where little Iceland can do five and a half percent interest, and it's not a problem. And we're scared to death that we might have a half percent interest. Well, here's something on that note. Um, the uh, as Zero Hedge just noted the other day, the uh, the the, um, the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis just recently came out with a working paper by its vice president Stephen Williamson that basically admits that. They don't really. They still don't know how QE works, and in fact, they don't really think it works at all at this point. Um, they're basically saying that uh, it has the the effect on the economy that <laughs> QE has had has nothing to do with the actual asset purchases that were going on under the QE programs. It's just that the signals that were sent out by the announcement of those programs, basically, the uh, investors priced it in. Uh, the the Fed's going to keep rates low for for a long time, so you know, let's go to town on the. Uh, uh, equities markets, and that's why we've seen the S&P 500 levitate and the Dow Jones levitate over the past several years. It has nothing really to do fundamentally with what the Fed is doing. So even the Federal Reserve itself is now admitting that QE is a charade. It's a, it's a mirage, uh, and uh, and they haven't really done anything whatsoever to affect the economy except to act as the, uh, the the oracle, the guide from which people can take their, their sort of signal. And it doesn't matter what they actually do. It's just the, the, the question of how people read what they're doing. Then this is a kind of sorcery then. We don't have any real fundamental changes that have been caused by QE 1, 2, or 3. What we have are just some magic words. I mean, it's like witch doctory or whatever where they create... We gave them a placebo. It was an it was an economic placebo, and the people fell for it. They believed, and therefore they could fly. Is that what we're looking at? I think so. Basically, yeah. I mean, uh, as we've said before, the modern or the, the the current economic reality is dictated by central bankers, and we see that in the QE in the United States. We see it in Japan. We see it in the uh, eurozone, and of course, now we're increasingly seeing it in China, where uh, things just continue to go crazy in terms of their markets now. With uh, uh, the the latest being that China is now strengthening the yuan um, by the most in two months, 0.08% uh, stronger. But, of course, uh, the offshore yuan forwards are still devaluing with uh, pricing in a 3% devaluation by August of next year. So they're, uh, they're busy pumping, trying to pump liquidity into their, uh, their banking uh, sector right now. Uh, 110 billion yuan of liquidity just injected in after 120 billion yuan was injected in earlier this year to uh, basically because people are trying to move yuan out, out of China now that it's being devalued and trying to change it uh, into offshore hands. And so we're starting to see China still furiously trying to do whatever it can to keep its Keep it. Keep everything contained. Devalue the currency, but keep the, all of the effects of that contained. And it's almost. I mean, I'd say it's almost comical trying to watch a, a central bank trying to to do this, trying to manipulate reality to that extent. I would say it's comical, but of course, it will ultimately end up hurting a lot of people economically. So it's not really fun. Over. Yeah. Um, if the report you were referring to is accurate. 
that they have figured out that QE one, two, and three didn't really do anything. It just, it just, it was like patting on the kids and then kissing their boo boos and telling them it doesn't hurt anymore. If that's all it was, it's evidence that the almighty Federal Reserve really isn't in control. They're not pushing levers of power. They're just mumbling some magic words. And if they're not in control, what's the what are the chances that the central banks that the, and the rest of the world are exercising meaningful, objective control other than just making such statements that have a certain amount of psychological force? Well, the ultimate effect of this shouldn't be surprising, but it was also actually confirmed by the uh, the Fed Reserve Bank of New, uh, St. Louis, which just um, a couple of months ago came out with a report that talked about uh, basically they they defined three classes of people, thrivers, the middle class, and stragglers, and they had specific defi definitions for that, uh, families likely to have income and wealth significantly above average in most years, blah, blah, blah. And basically, the, uh, they, they did some statistical analyses, and they found that since uh, the, the 2008 crisis, uh, sorry, since 1989, which was the baseline they were using, the median income of thrivers and stragglers were slightly higher, about 2 and 8 uh, percent, respectively. The median income of the demographically defined middle class was down 16%. So basically, we're starting to see this huge divergence in the fortunes of people in the economy. And the people benefiting the most, are, of course, are the ones at the top. So again, even the Federal Reserve itself understands this, admits this, shows this in its own statistics, and you can go look at the graphs of this. The rich are getting richer. The middle class is drying up. It's, it's starting to, uh, to actually shrink. I mean, this is not surprising, but this is the ultimate effect of the, the various central bank manipulations we've seen over the last several years. And that's why they can say there has been some recovery in the economy, because I guess if you're one of the people at the top who, who's invested in the right blue chip stocks and, and things of that nature, then you have made some quote unquote wealth in the last several years as the, uh, at least the nominal paper price of that, those investments have increased. But for most of the rest of uh, the population, the majority of the population that isn't invested in those particular stocks, uh, you, well, too bad for you. You're, uh, you're probably losing ground. And, uh, and ultimately, when you look at it in the big picture, it all smears out, so it looks like some sort of recovery. But of course, as we've seen from the, uh, the unemployment and the, 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 uh, the uh, employment uh, per, the percentage, the participation percentage in the, the labor force going down, I think people understand, no, this isn't a general recovery. This is just a, a ballooning up of the, the top and uh, a sucking out of the air from the bottom. I think our recovery, it reminds me again of your report that the Federal Reserve hasn't accomplished anything with quantitative easing other than to, magic, than to mumble some magic words. As long as Obama and the government come around, oh, recovery, recovery, recovery. It's just more, is it just more magic words? We're not really having a recovery, um, but we're trying to make people believe in the recovery. And if they believe in the recovery, then maybe we'll have one. No fundamentals, just do you believe? Do you have confidence? Do you have faith? Are we? Is economics a religion? You know, that's, that is a good way of putting it. It's been likened to magic and wizardry, and why not? It's, it's a type of religion where it is about faith. And, uh, and there, there is an aspect of that that really does play. Exactly. If people are confident, if people have good expectations, they're more likely to, to uh, get a loan and uh, start a new business and roll that dice. 
And if people are looking bleak, then they won't do so, and uh, thus they won't expand the money supply by taking out that loan, which, of course, is what actually happens. So it is absolutely the way that it's been engineered as a debt-based system. They basically just have to get you to believe in the casino. Mm-hmm. Do you believe in magic? Or do you believe in economics? Which one do you, are you? A, are you a, a Protestant, a Catholic, or an economist? What is, what is your religious? What is your religious faith? Let's take a break for some commercial announcements, and when we come back, I want to talk about xenophobia. I'm Alfred Adams here with James Corbett from the Corbett Report, C-O-R-B-E-T-T, report.com. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back on Financial Survival. Have you feeling stressed out? When life is too much to handle, use Apothecary Herbs Emotional Stress Formula. Feel calm and more in control with herbs especially combined to provide the organic nutrition your system needs to help you cope. Complete instructions for maximum benefit and a money-back guarantee. You've waited long enough. Call Apothecary Herbs now. Toll free, 866-229-3663. That's 866 866- 229-3663 International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3w.thepowerherbs.com Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. I'm Alfred Adusk here on Financial Survival with James Corbett from the Corbett Report. James is speaking to us from Japan, where he's been since 2004. And Japan, at least, is somewhat famous for allegedly being xenophobic. They don't want foreigners to come into their country, and they don't want them to stay there. They want to maintain their own culture. At least that's that's the message I've heard. I've never been there. I don't know if that's true or false. And I'm curious. You've been there now for uh, 
11 years, I think 11 years, and uh, are you disdained, tolerated, accepted, or welcomed? How do you, is, is Japan really a xenophobic country, or is, it, is that an exaggerated claim? Quite the right word, but certainly there is a there is a differentiation that is made between Japanese and everyone else on the planet. And yeah. I guess you could understand that mindset from a country that an island nation that was really excluded excluded itself from the rest rest of the world for thousands a thousand years plus um, of real isolation. And mm -hmm. so one could imagine how that that mi mindset and mentality and philosophy develops. Although it has been a hundred and 50 years or so since uh, Japan was opened up at the point of the barrel of the gun. So you would assume that things would have changed. And, and it's an interesting culture because it's able to take on so many of the aspects of different cultures and incorporate them into its own and uh, take on, you know, Western fashion trends and things that happened in the Meiji era, all of that, that sort of absorption of culture. But still, at the same time, there is the Japanese and there is everyone else. So that mindset still very much exists. And in fact, there's a whole kind of pseudo pseudoscience kind of thing over here about J Japanology, talking about how, you know, Japanese people are able to eat certain foods or whatever and how they they work differently. I mean, there, this is a very part, uh, important part of kind of folk culture here. But um, having said that, it's not that there's necessarily, it's not necessarily discrimination in a negative sense at all times. I think there is definitely a, a sense that there's a hierarchy of Asian nations with Japan at the top and uh, various people in various rungs below that. But um, I think the Japanese look towards uh, European and Western and basically white culture as as something to be emulated, striven for, that there are aspects that they're, I think, envious of uh, when it comes to that culture. Um, so when it comes to people like myself living here, uh, I think there's uh, certainly there are times when I, I get treated better than I think anyone else would in my situation because I'm a, I'm a foreigner and I'm also a white foreigner, so I'm kind of an elevated status in some ways. But at the same time, it's always, I will always be treated as a foreigner. I will never, no matter how long I live here, no matter whether I'm fluent, no matter whether I have actual Japanese citizenship, I will never be seen as Japanese by most Japanese. And that's, I, I guess that's understandable in a way. I mean, there's certainly the visible difference, but it's uh, it's really quite tragic when you look at the Korean population here in, in terms of the, the Koreans who were brought over basically as slave labor during the uh, the, the, the running of the, the Korean uh, colony and uh, who have lived here. And in this case, now you're into second, third, fourth generation of Koreans who have lived here their entire lives, have Japanese names, speak Japanese, have no real relation to Korea, but are still technically not <laughs> Japanese citizens. It's it's quite remarkable. So, uh, so yes, there's and that's definitely not unusual. A, it's not all that unusual. I've been living in Texas for over half my life, and I'd like to be a Texan, but technically I know I'm not. And you get to dealing with real Texans, and they're not going to put up with it. They understand that I did you're not. You're a carpet bagger. I don't speak the language. I have an accent. Uh, I, we were down in Utopia, Texas, back several years ago, and a man I knew had a new baby. Utopia, Texas is a little town. It was in a movie lately, uh, a couple of years ago. A little town, maybe 150 people live there. <laughs> and one of the guys, he was, I don't know, might have been from New York or the East Coast. Or I don't know where he was from, but he wasn't from Texas originally. But he'd been living in Utopia for a couple of years. And he had a child, had a baby. 
And he came into the local restaurant and said, well, hey, here's some cigars. I just had another Texan. And one of the old ranchers up there, he stood up and he said, you ain't going to have another Texan until you got three generations of dead ancestors buried in that cemetery up the street. So what I'm trying to illustrate is the Texans, in their own way, are every bit as xenophobic as the Japanese. Uh, you see it any place on Earth, maybe stronger in some places, but not so, and not so strong in others. But it's a human reaction that's not too far removed from any of us. Now, the reason I bring this up is the Washington Examiner recently published an article entitled, Immigration Re Revolt Goes Global. Americans not alone in, a, in opposing cultural upheaval. According to that article, it says, uh, in signs of a world revolt against immigration, a remarkable survey finds that the average of half of people polled believe there are too many immigrants in their countries. And nearly as many believe the newcomers are changing the culture for the worse. United States isn't even at the top of, the, of those with a negative view. We're number 13 out of a list that starts with Turkey at 92%, and we're down around 49% that agree that there's too many immigrants in this country. And what I'm trying to get to here is the idea that in a world that is overpopulated in at least some places, you can bet that immigration is going to become increasingly unpopular in nations that are underpopulated, and prosperous. People born into poor, despotic countries may soon have no choice but to engage in violent revolution within their own countries. They can't get out. They're going to have to fight for food or freedom. Which leads me to Donald Trump. He's brought this notion of immigration up. And I'm looking at the evidence. You know, he catches a certain amount of flack. Some people say he's a nut. Some people say, you know, he's okay. Um, I'm seeing this if there's a global reaction against immigrants. Then is Trump representing an idea whose time has come? Whether we like the idea, don't like the idea, are we going to see more barriers to immigrants coming into countries around the globe, not just here in the United States, Turkey, Europe, Japan, wherever? Ideas right. time I, yes, I think Trump definitely represents a populism and is tapping into something that it's, has been simmering for, for quite a while in, in the American consciousness. And I think you're right. There is there. Are, this is obviously an issue that's playing itself out in a lot of different places right now. I mean, Japan, of course, doing a bit of soul searching at the moment with its declining population and wondering how it's going to to, to support itself as the uh, the number of retirees increases and the number of working people decrease. Will they have to open up the doors? Of course, we see in Europe now a lot, I mean, immigration becoming a central issue for a lot of different countries. And I think there are some different reasons for this, including, I, I think, just a natural backlash against the sort of multicultural policies that have been instituted in, in a lot of countries over the past few decades. I think we're seeing the, the sort of big backlash against that. But I think perhaps more to the point of seeing this playing itself out in prosperous countries with declining populations, I think it's more to the point of the global economic slowdown. In times of economic slowdown, in times of economic decline, you are obviously going to get more people looking for someone to blame and are going to start uh, pointing fingers at immigrants, uh, the sort of soft target in that. And so I think if we were looking at the type of growth rates we were seeing back, say, in the 1990s, 
I don't think anyone would be. Uh, oh, I, I shouldn't say that. Of course, there would still be this this issue, but it wouldn't be as much of a touchstone political issue. I think the the economics underlying this um, is, is a lot of the reason why it's coming to the forefront now. Um, in in uh, and uh, also, of course, some of the the, the specific cultural issues are um, are d- dependent on the actual time frame involved. So, for example, in the last decade or so, in European immigration, we've seen a lot more people from uh, Islamic countries that are trying to basically create little pockets of Islamic culture in Europe, and of course, this creates tension. So, there's a lot of different factors that play into this, but certainly, it is a, a political touchstone issue in a lot of different places right now, and I think. Absolutely, we're going to see an increase in this. Uh, I mean, people talk about the culture wars and and look back at previous versions of this, but I think it's really going to ramp up politically, um, starting probably at this point when we we look at something like the Trump campaign. I agree. What do you think about multiculturalism? Insofar as people sit back and they extol the virtues of multiculturalism, we must respect other people's culture. Is that a... Is that an absolute recommendation that should be true in all cases, or does this have to be qualified at all? It's such a nebulous idea. I mean, what does it really mean, and how is it, uh, more to the point, how is it politically enacted? So I think uh, the idea of expanding our horizons and uh, learning more about the world, I mean, I'm a Canadian who moved to Ireland, who's now living in Japan. I mean, clearly I... can't make up your mind, can you? (laughs) Well, I think I've settled on Japan for the time being, anyway. But but yes, I mean, obviously I think there's something to be gained from from being worldly and understanding about different cultures and, and understanding ultimately that people are people wherever you go, which I think is one of the most important lessons that we can learn. Um, but, but yes, I mean, when it starts to be enacted politically for certain economic reasons and, and for the political advantage of certain people, I mean, then you start playing cynical politics with that idea. I mean, ultimately, philosophically, I'm committed to the idea that borders are lines on a map drawn by gangs, thugs of, uh, gangs of thugs who claim to have monopolies over certain patches of ground, and I don't think they have any moral force, but uh, but given that we live in this reality of, of borders and what have you, then it really does become a question of how these borders are drawn for political and economic and geopolitical advantages and things of that nature, and then how that plays into cultural issues and language issues and all sorts of different things. So unfortunately, it just kind of spins into the political cycle. And, uh, and from the political perspective, I think when uh, this is this has been a very cynical game that's been played, and uh, I can definitely speak from for that uh, from the Canadian point of view because of course this was an explicit part of the the Canadian political policies uh, dating back to Trudeau, um, who started to make this an official Canadian policy of instituting multiculturalism. Well, the problem I have with multiculturalism is I've been, I've visited. I worked my way to India and Africa when I was a kid and been out multiple times to Mexico and lived down there in 80 cents a day. I mean, I'm, I have some appreciation for cultures, and some of them are colorful and fun and the rest of that. But the system of values will perhaps only let you live to be 55 or 60 years old. Do I want to show the same amount of respect for a culture that may ultimately cause me to die at age 50 as I would show for a culture that may keep me alive until I'm 90? And should anyone else, should we have that mutual respect for these cultures? I think it was uh, Pat Buchanan, he talked about most of what passes for civilization. He characterized it as Christendom, that culture that came out of Europe, 
And he didn't, it wasn't just a political culture, it was a spiritual culture. And what I'm trying to get to is these values matter, and some people, you can't just automatically respect everyone else's culture without also analyzing and perhaps respecting your own. You've got to sit back and say, what culture am I carrying with me? Because it may be I'm carrying a culture that's kind of a disease to other people. Or maybe I'm carrying a culture that could be a cure and the other people are carrying the disease. Do you, you see what I'm saying? Well, let's put it this way. From a moral point of view, I don't care what people respect or disrespect what they do or don't do. Um, it, that doesn't affect me directly. You know what I mean? I, if I can live my life the way I want to, I'm happy to let them live their, their life the way they want to. And obviously there are going to be points at which those things butt up against each other. And at that point, we're going to have conflict and have to sort things out. But in some general sense, whether or not I respect a certain culture or it respects me or whatever, I think is just a, a kind of a distraction to the, to the real issues. And ultimately, this comes back to the idea, are we, are we simply, I mean, are we uh, uh, sort of robots that are programmed by our culture? Or are we individuals who can choose our own way and our own paths in life? And I think ultimately the answer has to lie more towards the latter. We don't grow up in a vacuum. We don't exist in a vacuum. But certainly we are individuals, and we can choose to, to do different things and to express ourselves differently than the culture around us. And I think we have to start looking at people more as individuals, respecting people's ability to do what they want, whether we agree with their decisions or not, and only at those points where there is a direct conflict um, that, that prevents us from doing what we want. I think we have to look at it at that point as a moral issue. I've got one last question and probably about a minute and a half to answer it. Uh, AFP reports NATO warns pro-Russia rebels against more Ukraine land grabs. Brussels, uh, AFP, NATO on Wednesday warned pro-Russian separatists against grabbing more land in eastern Ukraine and stressed Moscow has a special responsibility to help restore peace as the fighting escalates. What I want to know is, what does this mean if NATO's getting involved in this, where they're warning, essentially warning Russia? Is, are they just posturing, or is this evidence of something serious and dangerous ramping up? Uh, I think it's just the continuation of the serious things that have been going on. NATO has been up to their neck in all of this, as we all know, but they're quite openly right now uh, training the the uh, Ukrainian army and all of that. So they're they're involved in every aspect of what's going on in Ukraine, except being the the actual boots on the ground. And even that, I think, is a bit debatable. So um, so yes, I mean, clearly this is a NATO threat against Russia, and uh, it does not bode well for a Minsk II agreement that I think really has been torn to shreds by this point. So certainly Ukraine is definitely much still uh, active on the sort of a kinetic part of the, the geopolitical chessboard right now, and I think we're going to continue seeing some pretty big moves there. Um, in the same sense, the international, is this the same international community that said nothing when the U.S. toppled the previous democratically elected and lawful government of Ukraine? Doesn't anybody remember that? and say, wait a second, where does Russia have a special interest in maintaining peace? This problem was started. Russia didn't start this problem. Russia's just reacted to it. We have 15 seconds, James. 
No, I think I think you're right. I mean, we have to go back to where this originated from, and I guess you could continue going back and back in history. But uh, the ultimate point of this is that yes, yeah, I mean, Russia is not alone in having some special responsibility to to dictate what people within the Ukrainian borders do or don't do, and that's that's either positively or negatively in whatever way. I think that the outside forces here are assuming altogether too much responsibility for what's going on inside Ukraine's sovereign territory. All right, James, thanks very much for being on the program. I'm Alfred Adisk. My guest is James Corbett. James will be back next Wednesday evening, also broadcast during on Thursday on our Thursday program. Uh, we're out of time. Thanks for listening. May the good Lord bless you, me, Melody, Frank, the producer, and James Corbett. Good night. All day to pay the bills I have to pay. Payment fast. Still, there never seems to be a single penny left for me. that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family.
These are men, women, and children who once had homes, now in the street. They all need what you need. First aid, beds, food, clothing, and so on. You can send a monetary gift or a box of necessities to 230 West 4th Street, Florence, Kansas, 66851. Or donate online by going to Wichita Homeless. Or simply call 316-619-4886. Welcome to the Messiah's Branch. Broadcast, a one-hour promise program on the American Voice Radio Network, featuring Pastor Dan of the Messiah's Branch Ministry. And now, here's Pastor Dan. Welcome to, to Messiah's Branch Prophecy Hour. We are broadcasting live from the Flint Hills of Kansas, and we're on the American Voice Radio Network. Today's date is July 16, 2015. <laughs> just don't realize it, but we are in the time of the end, and that's the time before Messiah's glorious return. So it's time to get out of sin, the world, and look to the holy city. Look to the one who suffered and died for you. Please make this choice tonight. Hear the sound of the shofar. Heed the warning. Get right now before it's too late. If you need help after this program, call me. I'll pray for you or with you. If you get the machine, please leave your name, your number, your prayer request, and or message. The phone number, of course, is 620-878-4682. 878-4682. In an emergency, my cell phone number is 316-619-4886. Remember, send me. You, I will deal with your prayer request, but we have found another way to deal with prayer requests that if you choose to, that uh, you can always send me an email or mail me a letter with your prayer request and phone number on it. I can call you back, but also I can then take that physical letter, print it out, take it to um, uh, Sabbath with me, and we can lay hands on it and anoint it with oil and pray over your request. So you might want to consider that option also. But you can always find updates with the breaking news, our ministry, radio program archives, and our mailing address at our blog, which is simply prophecyhour.com. That's prophecyhour.com. And remember, we are a national satellite radio program, which is also simulcast live or simulcast live on the Internet. And that makes us international, so pray about supporting airtime. Our program archives can be found at prophecyhour.com. That's prophecyhour.com. And also branch.potomatic.com. Branch.potomatic.com. If you go to prophecyhour.com, you look over on the right, there's a little thing that says End Time Radio Archives. You can click on that, and it'll take you to the branch site. 
at that site, they have um, uh, apps, you know, uh, that you can download for either Androids or uh, what's that other one, iPhone, and you can download those apps to hear radio, but you don't have to. You can just click on the thing that says download programs or click on the thing that says play and listen to it without downloading anything. Of course, maybe the radio program if you choose to. Anyway, now it's time for a prayer, and we will bring on tonight's guest. Dear Heavenly Father, in Yeshua HaMashiach's name I pray. Father, I pray that radio tonight goes according to your will and not mine. And please give everyone out their ears and wish to hear the truth. So please, Father, bless this program tonight. Amen and amen. Well, tonight's guest was on with us fairly recently. His name is Daniel Holdings. He was a former, he is a former businessman, award-winning public speaker, turned author. His native California, this native Californian, often jokes that he just woke up a few years ago. Well, I'm glad he's awake. In doing so, he experienced a significant shift in his thinking, and that thinking has made him deeply aware of the intimate and dangerous transition that is about to be thrust on the United States and the world. Events have brought mankind to the pinnacle of history, whether it's a certain uh, global financial collapse, the sun going wild, UFOs, interloping planet in our solar system, um, increased interdimensional and demonic activity, or Israel at the center of World War III. These are all from Daniel. Daniel has joined the voices and warning of the approaching danger. But his is not a simple conspiracy theory or alarmism. He has formed his opinions based upon facts. How uncomf- how may however uncomfortable, excuse me, those facts may be. He's written three books: Three Days in the Belly of the Beast, As the Darkness Falls, and Between the Veil. He says these books, while fiction, turned out to be to be very prophetic. He's also the host of Hebrew Nations Radio. Prepare the way. So, ready. Welcome now, radio talk show host Daniel Holdings. Are you there with me, Daniel? I am here, Pastor Dan, and thank you so much, my friend, for having me on, brother. Uh, it is stunning the days in which we live. It has not been that long since I was with you, perhaps two two months ago, maybe. And Pastor Dan, I think the world has lost its mind. <laughs> That puts it mildly, don't you think, brother? Well, you know, I remember, and like you, I came up out of uh, mainstream church. And I remember uh, I I got saved in the 80s when I was in the Air Force. And I remember consuming prophecy books, one after another, uh, just trying to see how things were going to end up. And, I, you know, I saw the movies that people saw left behind, whatever the case may be. And uh, I, in, in my gut, Pastor Dan, I always knew, though, that it was never going to quite work out the way we thought. And, and I'm not even talking about the rapture, right? I'm just talking about world events. I always thought that we would be surprised, stunned, and dismayed at the racing of events. And sure enough, my friends, I, I this this last couple of weeks, my head is spinning because every time I turn on the news, uh, actually I don't turn on the news, I read the news, but every time I look at the news, it just stuns me again. And when I when I say that nothing surprised me, something else comes up and it just surprises me. 
it's just it's just it is that, Pastor Dan. It's stunning. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree with you. But you know, I while I got saved in about the third grade, I took an altar call at a Sunday Bible. Uh, what did they call that in the summertime? Uh, summer Bible school. Yeah, I guess that's what it was. But it was it was a you know summertime thing. You know that you went to in this anyway. Point being is is and so from that moment on, I did believe in Jesus and I prayed to Him all my life. But I never really got myself church while occasionally going to church and observing the normal Christian holidays. And then of all things, when I was you know I used to be an outlaw. Uh, the father changed me and say I got saved. But during a period of time when I was you know on the lam so to speak, I was hiding out in another state. I read the Bible for the first time, cover to cover, and I, it was just an incredible book. But I knew at that moment that that Bible didn't line up with everything that I had heard all my life and was hearing, hearing about whether it was the, how we worship, the holidays, um, and, and most assuredly, the end times. And then after getting saved and studying Bible prophecy, I had the same problem. What I was hearing out of so-called prophecy teachers just didn't line up with what the Bible said. Back to you. Well, and this week's news is a perfect example of that. Who would have thought, you know, back in the 80s, back in the 70s when we were growing up, who would have thought that the United States would have, would have partnered with Iran against Israel, who is now partnered with Saudi Arabia? I mean... Pastor Dan, I'm a writer, and I couldn't write this stuff. Yeah, amen. Amen. Well, you know, um, anyway, so speaking of news, what do you think about about this wonderful agreement that Obama has made with Iran? Everybody in the Middle East is going to be really happy because they're now going to not be attacked by Iran. What do you think? Well... What I really think, and I can't say on the air. <laughs> uh, but when when you look, look, I, I made a statement on my radio show. I had a wonderful guest on uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he came back last week. His name is uh, Captain Dan Gordon. He's actually a uh, a captain in the IDF. Uh, he's a really American citizen, and. Uh, he was, he was, we were talking about uh, Iran and Israel and all the things that are going on around it. And I made a statement on the air. And, and uh, for any ears that are listening, this is not Pastor Dan making this statement. This is Daniel. I guess so there's, there's no blowback on you, Pastor Dan. This is all me. I said to, to, to Dan Gordon on the air, I said, you know, there's only one of two reasons why he would do this, meaning Obama would do this. One that he was in bed with the Iranians, that, that there is a plan in place to take down the United States from behind the scenes from the very top. Or two, he is demonically possessed. <laughs> and that's why he's doing it, isn't he? He doesn't care. So, look, I, I don't know which one it is, but I, I'm telling you, it is an insane deal. There, And I said on that show, and I will say it again, there is no benefit to the United States in this deal. He came out yesterday at this news conference, and 
Yeah, I, I really don't like bully pulpits, pulpits anyway, but he came out of this news conference and he said, well, if you got a better idea, a better plan, just tell me. You know, we'll do that. Or we would have done that. And I'm thinking, yeah, the better idea was not going to the table with him. Because that's man, these are the same people that say they want to kill us. These are the same people that call us the great Satan, and they are determined to blow us up. These are the same people that have looked at our allies, that our best allies up until recently in the Middle East, Israel, and, and say that they want to kill them. When you have, well, okay, so we need to understand this, that, that Iran, and, and if you can wrap your head around this, and it, I know it's difficult if you're not uh, Muslim, okay, but in, in the religion of, of Islam, there are two sects. There are probably more than two sects, but there are primarily two sects or two divisions of uh, Islam. One of them is the Sunnis, and the other group is the Shias or the Shiites. And uh, Iran are Shias. Saudi Arabia and the majority of the Middle East are Sunnis. So there's always been, Pastor Dan, this animosity between them. And I kind of went into this in, in uh, my, my third book, Between the Veil. I actually, in the second book as well, about this animosity between them and why it exists. Now, here's the problem, okay, where, it, it, you know, we, we <laughs> I, I know that you probably don't have a Koran, neither do I. However, I have read through the Koran from time to time. I've looked in it to see, you know, what it said. And it is right. in there that they are to kill followers of the book, Christians, right? right? And that they are to kill any Jew that they see. Now, that's not a religion of peace. However, you have the Sunnis who say, okay, we're going to kill them slowly. <laughs> we're, we're going to gain ground, and then we're going to, you know, we're going to, we're going to take them out. And then right. you have the Shias, which, which is very, very dangerous. And this is why, audience, this deal makes absolutely no sense unless you know this, right? Unless you're at the top and you know this and you want to bring this about. Because it is the Shia belief that if they create wild chaos, that it is in that environment, Pastor Dan, that the Mahdi will come. And I, for those of you who don't know the, who the Mahdi is, the Mahdi is, in fact, our Antichrist. He is the opposite of Yeshua. So it, it is, and they cannot be removed from this ideology. It is who they are. And so you see the Iranians and you see the, the Syrians, because there she is well, trying to create chaos in order to bring forth this Mahdi. And we, who, well, at one time we're supposedly a Christian nation, now, now I guess, you know, he says we're not, but we partner with them to give them nuclear weapons, I mean, nuclear energy. Right. <laughs> because I don't care what the political line is, Pastor Dan, it is about nuclear weapons. Um, and on top of all that, to add insult to injury, remember Pastor Saeed that is still in jail in Iran and uh, a couple other 
Americans that are still in jail for their religious beliefs. Uh, we walked away from that table not securing any release of any prisoners. We got absolutely nothing in that deal. And unless that man is stupid, and I, I think he's far from stupid. I mean, he might be, as I said, <laughs> demonically possessed. However, the man went to Yale. It's not yeah. like he doesn't uh, have a brain in his head. Uh, this this is a very, very dangerous thing, not only on the world stage, but when you understand his motives, it should send chills down our spine. I mean, it really should, because right. this is a whole new game. Right. A couple of things. Um yeah, about the deal. You know, yeah, we we didn't get anything from it. it. It made the world a much more dangerous place. But even if we take and consider that, let's consider that they decide to not seek a weapon for the whatever it is, 10 or 15 years or whatever. But you realize what we just did to their economy. We just released this just by lifting all these sanctions and allowing them to go to the to the, uh, the world stage for their markets. We just opened up billions and billions of dollars to them. And what do they do with their money? They support Hezbollah and our enemies, basically, and Israel's enemies. So even if it wasn't the bomb, all this money that we gave them supports world. They're the number one sponsor of world terrorism. And so we just dumped a whole bunch of money in their lap to do that, you know. Um, and, and so that's a major thing. Obama, on the subject of Obama, you know, um, his strongest advisor is Valerie Jarrett. She is, uh, I don't know if it has any implication, but she is Iranian-born. Uh, Valerie Jarrett is. He says uh, she's the last person she talks to at night and the first person he speaks to in the morning. She sits in on a cabinet meetings. Now, he, maybe he might talk to his wife a little more than her, but I doubt it. But the point is, she's his strongest advisor. And, you know, she has a direct connection to George Soros. So I don't know what, why, except that the only thing it looks like, it looks like he, he's trying to do what he set out to do, uh, fundamentally change America, and that's bring America down. While everybody has got their eyes on all the, the Hispanics coming across the border, the people from South America, they're not paying attention, I don't think, as much to all of these refugees that was created from the Arab Spring that are being brought into this country without even so much as a security check. Don't you think that's a little bit dangerous, my brother? Well, yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that up because the same gentleman that I talked to on the air that was talking about uh, Iran was talking. He had just come out with a new book called The Day of the Dead, and I'm going to plug it, audience, because if you can get it on, on Amazon, I don't get any benefit for it. But I'm telling you that that's a great read. Uh, the author's name is Dan Gordon. But Dan said the reason that he wrote The Day of the Dead is because he was in. He's been in six conflicts in Israel, and right. the last conflict that he just had uh, is is when um, Hamas had dug all of these tunnels. And uh, you know, Pastor Dan, uh, we were told that you know it was a, a conflict that that started all of a sudden. He said that those tunnels took five years to dig, and their plan was to to 
go up in, uh, on, on the surface from these tunnels and kidnap women and children and wounded IDF soldiers, drag them back across the border and uh, torture them and display them to instill fear, terror. So the <laughs> children, God is not going to hold this nation guiltless. So if I see yeah, a I candidate... Guess it, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I say, if I see a candidate bringing that up first, I, I think he's he's looking at it from the right perspective, at least. He's, he's, he looks like he's looking at it from the right perspective, and I appreciate that. Um, but, you know, we know what's going to happen. This nation cannot progress. It must digress as long as we reject the Word of God and Lord God himself. Well, the social issues have almost, and this was actually several elections ago, have almost passed and become passe, uh, so to speak. Because if you do start to say that uh, that you are against abortions, as far as from a patriot perspective, the financial issues are the the bigger concern. And that's the way it is with Trump. And that's one of the things that's deeply disturbing about his popularity yeah. is that nobody cares about anything else that he believes. Listen, a, a president is not only an economic um, – does not only deal with economic things. The That is the executive branch of the government. A lot about, of what they deal with has – to uh, has to do with the uh, executive um, interpretation of the law. Now I know that the judge, the judicial branch, interprets the law, but how the executive branch executes that law makes a huge difference in this country. It yep. is not going to be one issue that brings this country back to the greatness that it had, say, as, as Trump says at the time of Ronald Reagan. It's not going to be getting our financials in line. And the reason for that is because if we get our financials in line, but there's no moral integrity to hold that, we're going to end up with more suffering. And That's you can exactly call right. me, I don't care what you call me, you can call me a communist if you want, but without that moral integrity as a basis for our country, we can be great financially, but there will still be great suffering in our land because, they, um, because we have not turned back to God and because we'll still continue this wholesale slaughter, 57 million, a last count, I believe, of babies. Listen, we have aborted over 10% of our population since 1973, Pastor. That Absolutely. is unconscionable. And the it fact really is, is that uh, we find ourselves in this situation right now. Now, right now, folks, this is Hatefulness Hour. If we've said something that has just absolutely made you upset, that's great. That's great because that's the name of the game. 1-800-932-1980 or jump into that chat room and type your hate. I've got a question for you real quick, Pastor. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. When did the Democrats become – now, I'm going to offend a lot of people with, with this, I'm sure. But when did the Democrats become the party of the old white people? you got Sanders and Clinton running. <laughs> They're in their 70s and 80s. I thought that they were like the minority party or whatever. But now they're running for president, two old white people? What's up with that? What's wrong with old white people? <laughs> Nothing. I'm just saying that this is the Democrats. <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know. I, I, you know what? As long in this case, as far as liberals are concerned, as long as long as they're liberal, they don't care. If, you know, if you're just skin and bones and barely standing, they don't care. They, you know, they'll take anything as long as it's a liberal. Don't get anything even remotely conservative. But um, all right, hey, Here, let me get let you again. If if Bernie Sanders grew a goatee, um, Colonel Sanders. Kentucky Fried Communism, man. <laughs> That's exactly right. Hey, one eight hundred nine three two one nine eight zero is calling number. If you've got a, uh, you've got a hate. It's hate from this hour tonight. If you've got a hate, or if you're in the chat room, you post it. We'll we'll take it, and we'll read it, or you call it in, and uh, we'll go ahead and let you just vent right in the air. You can go ahead and vent, like Frank's been venting on us in the chat room. He's just letting us have it for even giving. Huckabee, <laughs> a little bit of kudos. I tell you what, he's brutal, man. He's that's because that's brutal. because Frank has drunk the Trump Kool Aid. That's it. <laughs> I mean, he's just he's completely lost his mind on Trump. You can tell that in what he's typed in there. He said Trump talking about the illegals is not popular either with the Huckabee. That means he is for real. Come on. Oh man, hey, careful! He, he's going to put another to blame disclaimer on us. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> listen to what the Bible says. It always right. goes back to the Bible. <laughs> Churches are a mess. You're absolutely right. Proverbs chapter 6, all right, 16 and 17. The Bible gives us a list of the things that God hates, all right? And it's not, um, it's not illegals. It's not uh, bad money handling. Um, it's the shedding of innocent blood, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. God hates it. Listen, if we get a moral compass set right in this country, where it's based on the book, based on the Bible, all right, we get our moral compass right, then we can handle the financial problems. We can handle the illegal invasion as well, because common sense will come back. We can't do it the other way around. You can't, you can't close the borders and hope that somehow our nation will right itself. It, it won't happen. All right, because we've got other problems. It's, it'll continue to fester. So we get rid of the illegals and the Roman Catholic garbage, and, and then all of a sudden we we still got this. You know, then the the, the homosexuals are going to rise up again. All right, go folks, back to the, the contenders for the Faith Radio broadcast, and we are right in the middle of hatefulness hour. Hey, get your hates ready for the second half of the broadcast. And what you do is you call in this number, you tell us what you hate, and you get to be on the air. You get to talk to Frank first. Well, one eight, oh, I shouldn't have said that, but call in anyway. 1-800-932-1980 or jump into that chat room. It is hopping right now, and uh, you'll want to go there at theamericanvoice.com. Click on chat. Give yourself a super secret identity. Jump in there and get in on the discussion. Now, we've got lots more coming up in the second half of the broadcast. This is Aprilness Hour on the Contenders of Faith Radio broadcast. We will be right back.
have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for one of four. $49.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Give me the scriptures I want. 
you on? Hello? <laughs> that was you, man. That was your chance. I said it. What? I was talking. You, you interrupted talking? me. Oh, I didn't hear it. Uh, my headphones be my, no, it's probably my internet connection. Hey, I'm going to start out the second half of the broadcast by saying I hate my internet connection because <laughs> it keeps trying to dump me off of the show anyway. Um, folks, we are back. This is the Contenders for the Faith radio broadcast. As I said, apparently, without it getting across the air, and it, it is my fault. hour tonight. It, uh, what? It, it, it could been, be your uh, fault. Yeah, maybe. Okay, no, wait. Pastor Mike just of posted Of course it is your fault. He said dead airspace. He says he loves it. So, yeah, I guess you weren't coming across, man. Apparently you weren't coming not. across. Yeah. Words fallen to the ground or whatever. Anyway, it's Hatefulness Hour, folks. So uh, if you hate dead airspace, hey, give that a call in, like Pastor Mike uh, typed into the chat room there. 1-800-932-1980. That's 1-800-932-1980. It was NAFTA, Jason, and CAFTA, PNTR, and TPP, that's what it is. I said that Bernie Sanders was opposed to, which um, which Frank had posted in the chat room about Republicans actually being interested in Bernie Sanders because he's saying these things. Um, I mean, who who doesn't oppose NAFTA if you're a conservative? So that's just I, – I, I couldn't think of the other one. And uh, so I apologize for that, folks, but that's what it is. NAFTA, CAFTA, Bernie Sanders is running on the platform of I am opposed to all this. Uh, per- he, wants, he wants to end permanent normal trade relations with China. And who doesn't, as far as I'm concerned? But, um, so that's what makes him look good. And the fact that he's offering free donuts and candy to everyone. There you, you know go. what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something real quick. Um, keep talking, Pastor. I'm going to see if there's somebody that's stealing my internet bandwidth right now. I will be right back. <laughs> I hate it when somebody steals internet bandwidth. You know what? What you should do, Jason, is go you know, check your wife. She might be in the other room uh, you know, searching Pinterest or something like that. That, that might be it. Anyway, folks, uh, you give us a call, 1-800-932-1980, as Jason goes to see who is stealing his bandwidth. I want to know what he's going to do about it. Is he going to give him a stern look, You know, take a baseball bat to him and all that? You never know what might happen in the metropolis of Boonies, Indiana. <laughs> They're on the middle of nowhere. Who's stealing your bandwidth? By the way, you can contact us um, by email. Just type pastor at paysonfirstbaptistchurch.net. Pastor at paysonfirstbaptistchurch.net. Uh, <laughs> LT brings up the, uh, the Amish there. It, maybe it is the Amish. It's one of those, what, are the, what, <laughs> those, those, what do they call those Amish that uh, from like 16 to 18 they get free, free space or something like that where they let them do whatever they want to sow their wild oats? Rumminga or whatever. No, what yeah. <laughs> Rum, Rum, Rum Springa or something like that, yes. <laughs> Especially some of those, those Amish, you know, they got their little buggy out back behind your house, man, and they're, they're crazy Amish, yes. <laughs> oh, I hate that. I look up stuff on their horses and sell all their stuff. You know, I'm not even going to go on, off on the Amish. I got Amish friends, so I got to be careful. I, yeah. I, say. I don't want to make They might be listening to the broadcast. <laughs> not really. <laughs> 
hey, I figure I could get away with it. They're never going to listen to the broadcast. And I'll just make a few folks. I'll make a few of you guys mad in the uh, chat room. That's fine. Hey, I, I'll never forget. I'll never forget. We're in Ohio. And I literally, man, I'm here in this boom box. I thought it was in Detroit. And we're out in the middle of nowhere. And there's this big old boom box going, a subwoofer, and boom, you know, and and down, and I hear this clip-clop, clip-clop, and it was a horse and buggy, and it was an Amish kid. He had subwoofers in the back of his horse and buggy, and he was listening to some sort of rap. That was, that was, that was the funniest thing I have ever seen wow. in my life. That was hilarious. I'll never, Rumspringer, thank you, LT. There you go, Rumspringer. So, there That's you go, folks. I hate when hate people that. didn't hear what I said. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Is that what you said? You said Rumspringer, yeah. No, never mind. Never mind. I won't make you roll back you the You know tape everything. Right. You know everything, man. Hey, anyway, folks, you... I'm not going to debate that, so let's uh, let's get the call-in number, 1-800-932-1980, or jump into that chat room and give us your hates. Um, picking on the Amish, uh, Pastor Mike apparently takes uh, umbrage with that. Yeah. No, nah, he doesn't take umbrage with that, does he? I don't you know, know what? Okay, what can I say? You know, send me a send me a letter, or you know, the only way my my father in law get back at me is just send his wife out here, send my mother in law out here, and that'll set me straight. Uh, you can also snail mail us. Uh, that's uh, just for, just send it to three hundred three West Main. It's no longer PO Box eight. It's three hundred three West Main Street, Payson, Arizona. Eight five five four seven. There we go. And Frank in the chat room just posted a Drudge Report article. It's uh, right there in the chat room. Nationofchange.org. Republicans for Bernie. So if you folks want to look that up and make a choice on who you'd like to vote for, um, go ahead and do so. We're talking. We've been talking a little bit about the. Um, these candidates that are running for office. But Jason, somebody sent me two videos. And I and since it's hatefulness hour, I'm just gonna spring onto this one. Um <clears throat> it, two videos uh, of the same pastor. I'm not gonna name his name because we already know who Steven Anderson is. Oh, I named his name. I'm sorry. Anyway, so uh one of the videos was uh, about Steven Anderson. Uh it's a documentary on him um, getting through the border checkpoints, the Nazi border checkpoints, 50 oh, miles yeah. in I, I our country. Oh, yeah, I saw that one. That? Yeah, yeah, that was good. I, I, loved, I loved what he had to say. Did you see the last part of it? Where You know what I had? To... <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to watch the uh, part where he gets tased. I, like, watched it over and over. Hey, but he won the case. They won. I know. Well, and he I did. Yes, that. but I don't know why. It was like a train wreck. I guess I. You can't look away, but I shouldn't have watched it like five times. That was just such mean. a meanie, man. You're such a meanie. Anyway, so at the end, he... ah, ah! <laughs> is, your, your, is that the Howard Dean scream? No, that was the Steven Anderson scream. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. All that said, it was. I thought um, it was. It was pretty neat in the end. After he won the case, of course, uh, he won trial by jury. Uh, the judge threw it out the first time. The uh, the state uh, appealed, so they went to a trial by jury. The the jury declared him innocent, and he was. I appreciate that. He pointed out some constitutional flaws, all that stuff. But then after that, his boldness increased, and he had some funny videos. Uh, every time he conf- confronts these um, uh, 
these Border Patrol agents. And this last one, they said, what's your citizenship? And he said, I'm a citizen of Israel. And I mean, those guys yes. are flipped. I Did saw that know? one. That was good. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to say right now, before, before anybody thinks that I agree with that, uh, we are not citizens of Israel, okay? Uh, he pulled Scripture out of context. He didn't even say that in Ephesians 2. Uh, I'm sorry. It's not a chance. We are not citizens of Israel, guys. We are citizens of heaven. We're looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. That's plain and simple. That's why they can't get their prophecy right, because they think they're Israel, and we are not. Well, if you do, help yourself. But there's a danger in considering yourself Israel when you're not. All that said, Jason, that was hilarious to me. Because when they asked him about his citizenship, then he opens the scriptures and actually starts to give them the gospel, which was funny. That was a blessing. Then the next video got sent to me, and the next video was... um, it was him doing his Mai Tai training. Did you see that? No, I didn't see that one, I don't think. Well, he's, 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 you know, if they had put the uh, music to Rocky, you know, the Eye of the Tiger or something, that would I, I think would have been more apropos. But um, he's doing push-ups with his children, sit-ups, and all that stuff. Now, I'm not picking on him for trying to stay in shape, but there's two things that came across to me when I saw those videos um, was this. Uh, well, actually, the first thing that came to me was, why in the world is he putting this video out to begin with? All right. Now, I appreciate, I see the humor and all that, but why? What's the point? And to me, the first thing that comes to mind is sensationalism. I'm a manly pastor. I know my constitutional rights, and I work out, so I will fight your battles for you. That's the first thing that comes to my mind. And I just don't see this New Testament. I'm not trying to be super spiritual here, Jason. I'm not trying to be super spiritual. I enjoyed both videos. I really did. But the message that is being put out is not a biblical message. It simply isn't. I'm, I'm all for knowing your constitutional rights. Uh, I, I, I hate the checkpoints down there. All right? Um, I appreciate what he's educating the people on. But I think there's more to it. I think there is a... There's a pride issue here that I think is damaging to the church because the Bible but teaches we've got a different fight that we're looking for. It does, and uh, there's a whole lot of self-promotion with that. In fact, I've noticed a number of these younger preachers that are a little bit younger than us, actually, who are uh, – well, I think Stephen Anderson's probably about your age. Well, at least but, we're not uh, – they're jumping onto the the self promotion bandwagon. I mean, they're doing all they can to get their name out there. The sermon audio. The uh, oh, by the way, my uh, my username on Twitter is at Jason R Burton. Be sure to get on there and follow it. But uh, these guys are just in their self promotion is just it, it really is sickening. In, in all honesty, and it seems like they're trying their best to build their ministries and and get their name out there instead of just simply preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's a hard thing to do. Listen, everybody promotes themselves today. We lift people up like Donald Trump, who is the world's biggest self-promoter, next to yep. maybe Don King or somebody. Well, no, the, hey, look, the hair's in common, but... Uh, but Self-promotion is something that we hold to a high degree in our country, and I feel like that a lot of the pastors that are younger, um, they're really falling for this trap that they need to get their name out there somehow. Instead of just yeah. allowing the gospel to, to, to go out as they faithfully serve the Lord, they feel like they have to promote themselves. Well, to, to reemphasize my point 
on the sensationalism of this uh, and and the desire for pe- people to, for people to have a man fight their battles for them. All right. Uh, I was confronted by an individual that would like to have joined our church, and the first question is: Is where do you stand with Pastor Stephen Anderson? Now, um, you know, I don't know how to respond to that because obviously he and I would not see eye to eye. We're in the same state. I'm not his enemy. You know, he pastors his church. Help yourself. Do what you've got to do. I got I got my own things to do here. We are too busy. We don't have time to shoot each other in the foot. But. I would just say, what do you mean? And she, well, you know, Stephen Anderson, he's got it down when it comes to this and that. And I'll tell you what, you know, as far as what he's taking a few stands down there in the, and and you know, and 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 down by the border and and um, I would try. I said this. Here's my answer to this. I believe the Bible. What does the Bible say? When I look at Jesus Christ, the Bible says in um, uh, Philippians that he took upon himself the form of a servant and made himself of no reputation. That's the Bible. I mean, since when do we got to put ourselves in the forefront of everything? I'm not. Listen, I know he's trying to win people to Christ, but some of the things he's doing just it's just just no ministry to it at all. There's no Bible to it. God bless his heart. Do do what you got to do down there, but that should not be the standard. What was the problem with Israel in First Samuel chapter eight? They went to Samuel and they said, we need a king and we want him to fight our battles for us. We need a guy who's manly enough to lead us into battle. We, gotta, we want a guy that'll put on his firearm and go out there right. and fight. And I'm not, I'm not saying that a pastor shouldn't be ready to fight. But where do you get that in the New Testament, guys? I mean, don't well, you look it, at the Bible? It, a pastor is, is really shortchanging the people in the church when he doesn't train them to fight spiritual battles. Because the, the battles to be fought are not merely the pastors to fight. We've all been given the offensive weapon of the Word of God, and then we're to put on the full armor of God, all the saints, not just the pastor. And so, um, you know what? The pastors who do the job that the Bible requires of them, you, generally speaking, won't ever hear about because they are busy training folks to wage spiritual warfare instead of promoting themselves by standing up against the tyrannical government and getting face time. Now, listen, there are going to be some times when you do end up learning people's names who have stood for the truth, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. But you think of uh, you think of people that you've heard of in the past um, who have been great warriors for God. Were they self promoters, or were they well known because they stood? And I think of groups like the Waldenses who stood against yeah. the Roman Catholic Church for so many centuries, and uh, we know their name not because they were wanting to promote themselves, but because it was remembered in history that they stood in a day when nobody else could or nobody else would, and so. I I think these pastors have gotten that mixed up. They think if they get their name out there, if they make these strong stands and everybody knows who they are, that they're doing the work. And when they completely miss the fact that they are to feed the flock, that they are to exhort the brethren in the church there to train them and to teach them to fight those spiritual battles. Now, I know, Jason, that... He will probably he would probably say in his defense that he's already been doing that. Okay, sure. so maybe I'm this sure was a lapse. Maybe this is a lapse in judgment on his part. But and I'm not again. This is not to ridicule his videos because guys, it, it was it was a lot of fun to watch. I, I'm not saying that I didn't have a problem watching it, but I just I don't see the biblical side of it, and I see the damage that it's done. If we go to First Timothy chapter six 
in our Bible, we find a real powerful verse. Uh, well, several powerful verses in First Timothy chapter 6. Obviously, the love of money is the root of all evil, um, which w- those that erred after it, um, they pierce them through, themselves through with many sorrows. That's uh, verse 10. But here's another one. The Bible talks about, uh, there, there, he says that there are some that believe that gain is godliness. All right? And Paul counters it with, but godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we carry nothing out. Then he tells us in verse 11, but thou, O man of God, flee these things, follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith, is what the Bible says. Now, all these verses are wonderful. These are powerful verses. But the very beginning of 1 Timothy chapter 6 just stands out to me even more than those, because it sets the tone. Paul says in verse 1, Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. So he's actually addressing people that are under servitude. And he's instructing them on how to live. Because there was a faction in those days that said, look, I can't serve Christ while being someone else's servant. And I can't serve Christ under this oppressive slave owner. And Paul says that you can, and you've got the wrong mindset. The love of money is the root of all evil. The idea that godliness uh, is gain, or gain is godliness, he said that's the wrong mindset. And so... um, when people come to me and they say, well, how do, you, how, do you, how do you preach as far as the end times prophecy? Do you stand with uh, Pastor so-and-so? Because he teaches the first thing you need to do is store, you know, foods and grains and ammo and all that stuff. And then you've got to get your spiritual life taken care of. And, 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 I, and I always tell them, no, it's the other way around. It's the other way around. You start walking with Christ and you get in the good fight of faith. The other thing is secondary The other thing is always secondary. The Apostle Paul taught us by character. He provided for his own food, his own necessities, but that was secondary. He he went through deprivation first. He preached the word first. And I think we're missing the good fight of faith. We want somebody to stand and fight our battles for us, Jason. And... um, and, may, you know, maybe Pastor Anderson would probably say, well, I did this to educate so that people can stand on their own two feet, which in that case, praise the Lord, but that's not how it's coming off. That's not, not how sure. people can look at it. Right, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that we can justify anything that we can do because we are very creative in that way naturally. What we have to do is we have to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift us up is what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. We can't. We can't promote ourselves. We should only promote Jesus Christ because he alone is worthy of all glory, honor, and praise, and we are worthy of none of that. Now, if we put out a video of our preaching or something like that because somebody asks us to, there's, there's, there's really nothing wrong with things like that. If somebody calls and asks us for a, a message that we preached and, uh, and we send it to them, that's not really self-promotion. But when you find yourself striving to get the attention of, uh, of a group of people so that you can look more spiritual or something like that, so you can be a better pastor, then you've gotten into that area of self-promotion. It's really worth, worth digging into. The Bible talks about so much about we need to exalt Jesus Christ and we need to debase ourselves. And uh, that goes completely against not only psychology, but the vast majority of Christianity that is taught today. Yep. 
Absolutely. Uh, here's, here's an interesting verse. This coincides with the fact that Jesus Christ made himself of no reputation. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1 says this, When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand, touched him, and said, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus saith unto him, See thou tell no man. Go thy way, show thyself to the priests, offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. And he did that with several people. He said, don't say anything to anybody. All right? He wasn't a self-promoter. Now, of all people that had every right to promote himself, it was Jesus Christ. I mean, he, and, and the many times he would heal them, Jason, and they would defy what he said.